You're listening to episode 219 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I don't feel so good, guys. Why? I don't know. Like, I just kind of don't really remember the last week, but my whole body's sore. It's really weird. Hmm. Yeah, like, I don't remember the entirety of the last week. It, honestly, kind of feels like someone else was just in my body. It kind of sounds like you went on a bender. No, no, I wasn't on a bender. It's just like, I like I could see things that were happening, but I, I couldn't control my own body. It, like, the, the, the first thing I remember after being gone for a week is everyone saying they revoked their wishes. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about, but I'll tell you what, my body hurts. I feel like I feel like I was put through a blender. I'll tell you what I wish for right now <laughs> is to never have to think about this plot again. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Um I have a bunch <laughs> of scarves in my closet now. I don't wear scarves. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> I, I only now get what you were doing. Huh? I was lost. I wasn't huh? sure if you were a symbiote or if this was somehow related to Krakoa. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. What's up? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see Wonder Woman, Phil? Uh, I think I did. I don't remember <sighs> it really. Like, I, I, like I see the, I saw the images, but I don't think I was in my own body. I wasn't there. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty rough. I had to just sit there while it happened to me. You know what? That's how a Ooh. lot of this week felt. That's how a lot of my life feels. <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm sorry that happened to you, Phil. Hopefully, you can keep it together long enough to do the show. No one apologized to me. That was the other weird thing. I acted like it was totally fine that this happened. <laughs> eh, well, you know, people uh, don't mind using you. <laughs> Welcome to the comics box. <laughs> Uh, Pete, that drink in your hand, do you have any plans to smash it over someone's head? Once or twice, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most powerful weapon in existence. (laughs) You got the Infinity Gauntlet, you got Mjolnir, and you got... C4 original. C4 original. This is... I'm going to tell you the story of this because I'm not drinking this on purpose. Uh, There's this thing in Philly called GoPuff. Where you can order like groceries and they'll, you know, run them over to your place. And the last like two times that I've gotten it, they've just given me this like bargain bin energy drink. So I've got like five of these in the fridge. Are they I, good? It's okay, I guess. It's fine. It's awesome. What a what a I probably shameless. will throw them out. Yeah. What a weird plug for this drink that Pete doesn't <laughs> even care for. Though. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so Speak- instead of plugging the drink, we will plug ourselves. So. Happy New Year to all of you guys listening. Happy Thank you New Year! Thank you for uh, coming along with us into 2021. We really appreciate it. Feels like 2020 was the longest year, but we made it. So, round of applause for all you beautiful people out there that are listening. Uh, we, of course, are the Comics Pals. We have a plan to deliver to you guys the best year ever of Comics Pals content. So, you're going to want to hang around with us as we tell you guys what we're going to be putting out and then ultimately show you guys what we have to say and put out in 2021. So you got to follow us all over the place in order to know about these things. Of course, you're going to want to continue to listen to our show. 
hit us up on social media at the Comics Pals. Write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Wherever it is that you get us, make sure that you're leaving us a like or subscribing to the podcast or leaving us a rating or a review. Those things help us out so, so much. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. Again, make sure you hit that subscribe button. It helps us out a ton and it costs you nothing. Uh, our New Year's resolutions as it relates to this show are to grow it and get more people on board, get more people listening. So if you think that this podcast is something that people should be tuning in for, then let them know so they can come and be a part of the party. Speaking of which, you're going to want to come and join our Discord server. We're always having a great time over there. Um, you know, we've we're, we've had new people join and it's just it's just awesome, you know, to have a community of people um, who enjoy the same things that you enjoy. If you use Discord at all, you know that already. So if you already use Discord, you should absolutely be hanging out with us at, excuse me, at the Comics Pals Discord, a link to which is in the description. Not hard to find. Um, we have a ton of things to get to on this episode. It's jam-packed. We're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be talking about WB's big plan for DC films in 2022. I'm and when sure I they're say, very well thought out. <laughs> sorry? I said I'm sure they're very well thought out. Meticulously planned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about the reaction to Wonder Woman. And we're going to be answering the question, what does Marvel have to do to stay on top in Phase 4 and beyond? Obviously, we already know what the Phase 4 slate looks like, but what do they have to do to make sure that Phase 4 is a success? And Phase 5 and 6 and 7 and on and on and on. And last but not least, we're going to be reviewing X-Men 16. So we've got a lot to take care of. We're going to jump right into it, and we're actually going to start with a listener comment. Okay. All right, so this one comes from Garrett Harshman over on uh, episode 218 over on our YouTube channel. And uh, Garrett wrote in and said, after listening to the last 70-plus episodes weekly on on Apple Podcasts, this is the first time I've put faces to the voices, and I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) It's because he saw all your different colored hair over that 70 episodes, Pete. I dude, I have thought about that. Um, I think I might try to do that this year. I kind of want to do like a video at the end of 2020, 2021 of like a time lapse of my hair across every episode of the show, like as a gift. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> you know how people do those like uh, once a year kind of photo collages, but every t- like every other face is a little different. They're just making different expressions. Yeah, yeah. That could be your hair. <laughs> uh. uh- I loved this comment. When I saw this, I was laughing (laughs) partially because of the ambiguity of what you meant by you're dying. Like, obviously, you're dying because it's funny. The why is it funny? You didn't elaborate. This person actually ended up joining our Discord server, which is awesome. Still didn't elaborate. So if you're (laughs) listening to this, I want to know from you, Garrett, and you can answer on YouTube or in our Discord, wherever. What? Why were you dying? So I have a slight update to this, but I do still want to hear the answer to that question, Garrett. Uh, I asked Garrett uh, on the YouTube, I said, that's amazing. Who was the biggest surprise? And Garrett said, Kale and Pete looked similar to what I imagined. I think Marco was the biggest surprise with Phil in a close second. 
Oh, I wonder what I was opposed to. Do I not exist? I don't know. You well, were you were like medium surprising, you know. Well, <laughs> well I, I think that meant that he's like, well, I knew Sean was black, but I didn't know how black. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I've I'm an internet person. I've been on the internet for a very long time. Used to play a lot of World of Warcraft, and no one ever knew. No one ever thought that I was black. No one. Uh, in fact, I played a lot of WoW when I was like 14, 15, 16. People always thought I was in my 20s because I already had kind of a deeper voice and I wasn't um, childish in my speech. So people thought that I was, you know, an adult. Um, so, Garrett, let us know what you meant, man. <laughs> Please do. I need to know. Yeah. Uh, the streets need answers. <laughs> We also got a comment from Harris on our Wonder Woman review. So uh, Harris wrote in and said, listening to the Wonder Woman review, I have this random question of the week. (laughs) He caught me off guard with that one too somehow. Moving forward, is it more beneficial for comic slash fantasy based movies to use more practical effects? I know there is an argument to use a lot of CGI to advance the tech, but I believe scaling back those effects would give better returns long term. A good example would be Tenant. Uh, I I think that I think it's a uh, always the best scenario when it's a mixture of the two. And I, I actually think that the best example in my mind is looking at uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring trilogy versus Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy. The Hobbit trilogy came out, what, I mean, half a decade later, more? A, um, I mean, a decade, right? Yeah, like quite quite a bit later, right? Yeah. Technology has advanced quite a bit between uh, Return of the King and The Hobbit. And I think that The Hobbit movies look more dated than the Lord of the, Ring, Lord of the Rings movies because – they're the root of the effects in those movies is practical and then they're augmented with digital effects rather than like you look at you know i i didn't see the second two hobbit movies because i just wasn't interested uh but the first one i remember thinking that a lot of the antagonists like looked like video game characters you know and like they might look like good video game characters but it still looks like a human being next to something that's not a human being and that rarely works um, but I also think like you look at the MCU and they have stuff like Rocket and Groot that are totally fabricated characters, the Hulk, totally fabricated character. Um, and I don't think that they feel that way. And I don't think that 10 years from now, uh, you look at those movies and be like, oof, you know, like this looks so fake. And maybe we will because we'll make that many strides. But like, I don't think you look at iron man or avengers and think that it looks you know like trash old cgi so i think it's like a matter of using it sparingly relying on practical effects when it makes sense and you know smart strong use of cgi like if you're gonna use cgi like you've gotta really commit to it and make sure that like that focus is being put into making something that will look timeless my understanding is that in today's environment, uh, having elaborate sets and, and, and practical effects is more expensive than using CGI. 
Uh, so a lot of it comes down to labor. Not that that CGI is cheap. You look at any MCU movie and it's, it's CGI is very expensive. Um, but I think you're right, Pete. A good example of a movie that utilized CGI and practical effects uh, together is Jurassic Park, a movie that at this point is o- over 25 years old. Mm. You look at other movies that it's contemporaries that did rely more on CGI. A good example is a movie that came out four years later, the 1998 Godzilla movie, and it looks terrible. Garbage. Um, or like even the first two George Lucas uh, prequel trilogy Star Wars movies. Like they also look really dated in their CGI, especially the second one. Um, that certainly is an issue. I mean, you look at Justice League, another movie where it looks like a, a PlayStation antagonist. Um, <laughs> I, I, for me, I do really enjoy and value uh, practical effects. I watched Total Recall yesterday, and that's a movie that has nothing but practical effects, and it's really it looks very distinct, very unique. Uh, that all said, I don't think that CGI was the issue with Wonder Woman 1984. It wasn't like great, but it's not the primary detractors of the movie's quality. The movie's quality is in question because of writing and plotting. Yeah. Those are the primary issues, I think, with Wonder Woman 1984. Now, again, it's not to say that it looked great. There was a lot of visual issues with that movie, but if that movie had more practical effects or even better CGI, it wouldn't be a better movie. Well, and I, I also think that, like, when you look at classics, right, like the movies that stand the test of time, um, you're I, – I, anyway, as, as a viewer, am willing to forgive uh, effects that are limited based on time or budget or feeling dated if the script and the character work is good and everything, right? Like, I think the original Star Wars trilogy is still the best Star Wars that's been made. And, yeah, it looks dated, but it's good. And that, that's what matters, you know? Sean, I know you put greater emphasis on on, on a, like a quality of the way it looks. You, you know this that? Is, you've told me this before. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, Wait, talk about the CW shows real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I mean, so to to Harris's question first, uh, I I don't think it's more beneficial to use more practical effects necessarily. There's just there's no way that you can make that kind of blanket statement because like Pete mentioned like Rocket, for example, if they tried to make Rocket practical, it would look absolutely stupid. So you have to pick your spots. Uh, Marvel has done a tremendous job of putting their money where it needs to go in terms of making these movies look how they need to look. They don't always hit. Black Panther, notorious, great movie, not the best CGI, especially towards the end. These things happen. Uh, the difference is that with Black Panther, the mo- the rest of the movie is so good that you know the CGI is not, not the best, but you accept it because everything else around it is quality. And that's something that we kind of said about Wonder Woman, where it's almost this death of a thousand cuts. There's so many problems. If it only had one or two, you could accept that and move forward. But because it, there are everything has a problem, you can't accept the smaller problems because they just compound. Um, would Wonder Woman have benefited from more practical effects? I think it's case by case. In that movie, maybe. Because Cheetah looked absolutely atrocious it's overdone you know like it was too much cgi and it was not well executed and it felt as though they tried to cover that up by making the scenes darker 
And yes, that's something that's- that DC tends to do. And um, that didn't help. That that's a classic technique of studios to cover up its CGI. You saw it in like the the first of the new Godzilla movies. You know, Godzilla fights at night, and there's a lot of clouds. Uh, same with Pacific Rim, even though that movie looks a lot better. Um, now the real question here is with the movie Cats, which also looks had some really bad looking CGI cats. They CGI'd out the cats' buttholes. Did they do that to Cheetah in Wonder Woman 1984? That's weird. Uh, this, I don't know. This, I never looked. It didn't there. come up. It didn't come up. Which yeah. is unfortunate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, Phil, you were asking uh, whether I thought that CGI or whether I thought that the look of the film was paramount. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I do. I think if a movie, if something looks cheap, that's going to make me feel like it's cheap. Like the CW, I, I always go back to them. It's not to pick on CW shows, but they the costumes, the characters, they look cheap. And I can't if if your if your costume looks worse than what I could buy at the party store, then come on. There's cheetah. There's women that have done cheetah costumes that look one hundred percent better than what they did in the movie, and that's not good. It's always wild when like co- there's cosplayers that look better than things from movies. Yeah, yeah, and I mean there's no shortage of them, right? And that's that's always the thing where like when you do have something like this happen, it feels like kind of like unacceptable, you know? Because not only like in the internet age where like geek stuff, geek culture is super normalized, like everyone has seen really dope cosplays of characters that haven't been on the big screen, and not to mention the fact that, like, you have, you know, what? Again, it's 22 or whatever Marvel movies where, like, sure, there are plenty of examples of, of spots where, like, the CGI didn't pan out. But, like, looking at Black Panther, right? Like, sure, like, that last fight is maybe a little dicey. But, like, all of the, like, world building of, like, here's Wakanda and here's, like, amazing Beautiful. set work that is then accentuated by good CGI like that is no joke and like that stuff you know you can't you can't do all of that practically but i think to me it's it it always goes back to the peter jackson example where it's like the best movies the best st- like most stylish effect stuff to me is always a marriage of the two things it's that you have strong foundational you know physical costume work set pieces that are then accentuated by computers so that it looks more real so it looks less like a set less like a theme park you know and like get it to that next level and like that's what you saw with wakanda that's what you've seen with you know um like any of like the guardian stuff right like you got to just sell us on it that's it it's got to feel like a real big dick moment when, if say you're like a cheetah cosplayer and you see that movie with worse cheetah, like a worse cheating, like it's like whatever, bitch. I made this with a sewing machine. Should have called me. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna move us on, but I also wanna uh, say that because I, I can already hear the argument. I'm not saying like it's not about whether or not you like the costume better. It's about whether or not it looks good. So you might like the Mark One Iron Man costume. That's your favorite Iron Man costume of all time. And you're going to show me some amazing cosplay. Okay, that's cool. But the question is, on screen when they do the movie, does it look good? You know, does it look 
real? Does it look Do believable? It? Exactly. And if the answer is no, it doesn't matter what suit it is. It's just garbage. And that's it. And so in the case of Cheetah, there's not like a lot of variation on that character and that that idea of how she looks. It just didn't look good. Well, and it, and I think especially when it comes to stuff like that, when it's like a big character, like she's supposed to be the main antagonist, right? Um, supposed to be. For three minutes. Yeah, right. Um, you can't connect with it, you know, like because it's not good and it doesn't feel real or human in any and, way. And, and story-wise, it doesn't feel earned really either. No, but even take that out of it. Like, I mean, just from like an effects level, right? Like we, we brought up Rocket and Groot before. Like those are characters that people connected with because – there's emotion in there and like it comes across because they feel alive. They don't feel like Chris and Wiggs face plastered on this CGI monstrosity, right? It doesn't feel like you're watching a movie with a character, right? Like I don't look at Rocket and think Bradley Cooper. I think it's Rocket. Yeah, you know? but, but listen, you know, you take something like Yoda who was a puppet for for two movies like people connected to yoda big i mean time. baby yoda's a puppet in mandalorian it's just good it's well done and you buy it because it feels authentic in the context of the world let's let's get off this topic um thank you harris for writing in. always appreciate you man uh happy new year to you and and garrett harshman also um keep keep writing in guys it's awesome to start the new year with uh words from you all and uh you guys are a big part of the show, so thank you very much. Um, let's jump into the pals polls. We've got uh, from Pete, the wrong Earth, night and day, number one. Yeah, so uh, I know we shouted out they had done the um, prequel uh, of Wrong Earth recently, and I haven't gotten around to that, but I, I believe night and day is is the continuation of of the storyline again. Which um, you know we we had. Um, Stuart Moore and Tom Pear on the show a while ago. If one of you wants to play Marco and look up that episode, great interview with those guys. They were super, super fun to talk to. Uh, wealth of experience and knowledge between them. Um, and The Wrong Earth was just a really cool book. Uh, if, if you missed our conversations about it, the like elevator pitch is essentially that um, there's this – uh, these two versions of this superhero called Dragonfly Man, and it's essentially like kind of like a Batman analog character where one of them is like the Golden Age, Silver Age, you know, like Adam West-esque Dragonfly Man, and then the other one is the Dragonfly, and he's more like an 80s to modern era kind of like right. dark and gritty take on Batman character, um, and these two guys get switched, uh, so they're in each other's universes, and then all of a sudden they have to try to survive and blend in and you know um bring a little bit of their kind of respective energy to those two universes um so it, the the first arc of it was really really cool uh great setup we all really enjoyed it um and uh i know it's available on um comiXology unlimited for free as well so um highly recommended i'm looking forward to uh to reading a little bit more and as well as going back for that prequel that came out and uh, if you're interested in that really good episode we did, since I'll be Marco here, it was episode 187. Oh, wow. Our fantastic fact checker, Phil, checking in. <laughs> fantastic spelt with a PH. Of course. <laughs> Phil chose Future State Superman of Metropolis number one. Yeah, so as, as much as of a, of a meme it's been, all this Future State stuff and how messy the transition out of... Uh, uh, death metals is probably going to be i 
always am intrigued by like an advancement in continuity and in story. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how it is. You know, this book has, uh, has Sean Lewis, uh, Brandon Easton uh, as writers, and Holy Hamner and Valentine Delandro on art. I'm not really sure I've ever read anything by this kind of creative team before. So it's completely, I mean, this is the whole thing we've been talking about with DC seemingly going for a lot of unknown talent on, on these books. So, my expectations are low and it's not because I expect it to be bad. It's just, it's an uncertainty. So, uh, I'm curious though. Uh, I'm very curious. It's going to be a, uh, Jonathan Kent is Superman, uh, the son of Lois and Clark. Um, I want to see how it turns out. I think that's a promising premise. You know, that's That's what I mean. I I enjoy when there's kind of like someone taking the mantle and it's like a new continuity. I'm curious though. I feel like the whole idea of him having to like live up to Clark's legacy and everything too. Like there's 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 meat on the bone there. Whether or not it comes together, you know, remains to be seen. But absolutely. So uh, I chose Future State, the next Batman. Speaking of Future State, um, I'm on record as being unhappy with the fact that they are doing these backup stories. I really would rather just pay. The three ninety nine for the one story that I care about. Um, what's what's the one in yours? So uh, it's it's the story of the new Batman. Uh, John Ridley and Nick Darrington are going to be the pair telling that story, and that's a creative team that I'm intrigued by. I really want to see what John Ridley is made of, and this there's been much ado about this new Batman that that they're going to be um, introducing. So I want to see that. Um, but then there's you know, this uh, outsider story, Brandon Thomas and Sumit Kumar. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I don't really care about that. Um, and then there's a, another backup story by Paul Jenkins and Jackson Herbert. Again, don't care. So I'm going to read them. Of course, I'm paying the $8 for the issue. So I'm going to read them. And this is how I'm going to judge Future State. Uh, I, this is, frankly, probably the only Future State book that I plan on picking up at the moment. We'll see how things develop, but I just cannot imagine paying $7 for the book that Phil just um, promoted there. You know what I I was thinking about um, while you guys were both chatting about these? I wonder what this is going to mean for trades with these Um, runs. Like, will they split up the back? backup stories into a separate trade will they give you a trade with the backup story and the main story and then make it cost more like many trades historically do not publish the backup stories in them so a good example was there was a backup story of captain adam uh in action comics a few years ago never uh put together in any of those trades and another good example of the antithesis of that is during Jeff John's uh, New 52 Justice League, there was backups of uh, Shazam, which was oh, collected yeah. into a trade of its own. Right. Yeah. Um, that was what we read for our book club, right? Yes. Uh, that said, Sean, I have got Guardian and Mr. Miracle on my backup. Um, don't care about Guardian at all. Does anyone care about Guardian? Uh, and uh, Mr. Miracle must. could be good. We'll see. This one isn't $7, though. It's only 6 uh, you're wait. Which one are you promoting? The uh, Superman of Metropolis. Yeah, I got I got it at 
six nine. Oh, because this is the 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 different cover. Okay, yeah. The sorry, I was looking at the cardstock cover, which they're charging a uh, dollar more for. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Phil, Phil, and I also both chose Eternals, number one. Yeah, uh, this is one of those uh, concepts I don't have a ton of familiarity of. I I uh, I have one Eternals trade uh, or hardcover I've never read by um, by uh, uh, what's his name uh, Sandman fame Neil Gaiman. Gaiman yeah Neil Gaiman I haven't read it yet which is something I was uh, planning on cracking open closer to the movie but it makes sense they're uh, churning out kind of a, an ongoing here it's got Karen and Gillen on it which could be really good and Assad Ribic um, yeah so I'm I'm intrigued here this has been kind of one of those big time conceptual uh marvel things that i feel like a lot of people aren't super familiar with including myself it's one of it's jack kirby's like last marvel project he worked on uh you know they were basically created by the celestials uh if i'm not mistaken i uh i can't i'm I'm really kind of excited to see what they do here and what what it means for like the movie they're gonna do yeah, um, I am a big, big fan of Asad Rubik. He is one of the, the greatest artists in comics, in my opinion. Um, and I've sung his praises quite a bit on this show. So to yeah. get to see him again on an ongoing is super exciting. And then Kieran Gillen is not someone whose writing I ever really got into. But um, I know that people say he's talented. So I'm excited, it, you know. Sure, why would I not buy a new number one featuring a team I know nothing about by a creative team that's exciting and, and um, you know, f- intriguing? So I'm all in. Yeah, similar to that, that Shang-Chi book that they put out, it's like, okay, yeah, this is like, this is the right time for this. Yeah. And I'm interested in seeing them get this push. Uh, let, let's see what comes of it. Indeed. Uh, speaking of pushes, the biggest push in Marvel has certainly gone to the X-Men over the last year and change. Uh, So we're going to get into our review of X-Men number 16. This is picking up uh, post Ten of Swords. We're finally getting into, you know, what what we missed, or what's next, rather, uh, in the lives of the mutants. Um, Interesting issue. This, of course, by Jonathan Hickman uh, with Phil Noto on art. Clayton Cowles on letters, as always, and Tom Muller, the designer of the X-Men world. Um, did this get, did this issue scratch the itch that you guys have for post-Ten of Swords content? Yes, but only kind of. Like, it, it, it feels like a bit of a tease, you know? Um, I, I think it, it very much feels like... It feels like one of those issues that you get in longer runs of comics where it's like, okay, right? The last arc is done. So this is effectively a new number one, but it's not. You know, it's like, you, it's same characters. You know what's going on. You get it. But it's very much like, all right, so the old thing is over. Let's establish the new status quo. Here's the new problem that we're dealing with moving forward. Here are some of the players that are going to partake in that problem. Here are the ways in which it may play out. And here is like a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit of, you know, here's a thread for you to maybe pull on later questions for us to talk about in, you know, uh, conversations like this one. So like, 
I think as an issue, it actually offers a lot to chew on, and it has a lot that is, like, uh, worth it, I would say. But it's also, like, not a very – it's not a very exciting issue. Like, it's an issue that I, I think you would get just as much out of if I told you the bullet points of what happened, and you're like, all right, cool, I'm ready for the next one. Um, so, like, it serves its purpose, but it's not – stand out in the way that other issues of this book have been speaking of the bullet points i'm going to give them to you now uh before phil gets his word in essentially we learned that krakoa and arako after all these years they don't actually want to be together they don't even speak the same language anymore pretty much and so it doesn't appear there's going to be this big reconciliation that we thought we were going to get and there's trouble in paradise, as it were. Um, meanwhile, we learned that even if they did reconcile, the mutants of Arako outnumber the mutants of Krakoa by a very, very large margin. And because of all of the war and strife that they've been through, they're not exactly looking to play nice and make peace anyway. So... Really, the issue lays down those two threads and then the final thread of who will take the seats of of uh, Jean Grey and um, Apocalypse on the Quiet Council and who will make up the new X-Men. That's what happens in this issue. Phil, what did you make of it? I kind of found this issue frustrating, if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, there are things I liked. Uh, I liked... I like the giant manifestations of the two islands meeting in the ocean. I like the way it was uh, written and why they couldn't, uh, you know, uh, why they couldn't communicate with one another, and like the the explanation behind why, like the warring environment and just being away from each other so long has such a had such a dramatic effect on their lexicon, um, and their just general kind of uh, linguistic background. All that was very interesting. Um, and I like the premise they're setting up for the future of like voting, having Krakoa vote on their you know team of X Men going forward. Yeah, that, that's that cool. Could, that could be very interesting. Uh, but as a substance, uh, the, the, this issue of like substance doesn't feel like it is a very much substance. And the reason I say that is, especially when. Charles and, and Magneto are talking to Iska. There's just so many repeating panels. Like she, Iska makes the same face in six different panels. <laughs> and that's so frustrating. I know artists do it for dramatic effect to convey like, it, it's meant to it's meant to have a conversational flow, but it's that deconstruction style of comics. Like it's so frustrating. Like did this issue need to be 25 26 pages or whatever it is i don't think so like a lot of these conversations feel like they could have been boiled down a lot more succinctly um and like having these nine panel spreads of just people's close like close up on their faces like i kind of appreciated the novelty earlier in in in, in hickman's run here but it's too like it's happened too many times that the novelty is worn off. Hmm. Now it just feels like we're padding. So while I, I appreciate the kind of political intrigue of Arako and Krakoa, 
even though not really because Ten of Swords didn't really make me care about that that dynamic a ton, even though on paper it sounds interesting. In execution, most of this issue just feels like fluff. Yeah, um, I I definitely found myself frustrated by this issue. It so okay. The promise of Ten of Swords was Krakoa and Arako, they're desperate to be together. They're gonna make this thing happen. Krakoa is not gonna allow them to get out of this. There's no way out. The mutants have to put their lives at risk in order to satisfy what Krakoa needs. Now, one issue later, we learn that Krakoa actually doesn't want anything to do with Arako. So uh, I forget which character it is, but someone says, it's "Magneto." Yeah. What? What? Then what was the point of that? And <laughs> the answer is, Doug got married. Th- that's not yeah. satisfying. Like it's funny, haha. But that's not that's not good. To me, yeah. that's not that's not acceptable. Um, and I'm sure that this will be reconciled. But I feel like Jonathan Hickman is putting us in a holding pattern. There is so much meat on the bone of the X-Men right now. And Jonathan Hickman gives us only a morsel. Not that this issue needed to blow the doors off of everything. But it it feels like it took us backwards in a way. Like it took us forward, but also backward. I think... think, To build on that point, what I would have what I would have rather seen him do in this issue is rather than um, have it be kind of like a new number one and be like, here are all the threads that we're going to pull on for the next chapter of the X-Men. Right. Like here, here are the expectations you can have reader. I would rather him have picked any one of these threads and just committed to it. Right. Commit to we're going to have a dialogue about. Araco and what it means and have the conversation with Iska, like do all that and have that be the entire focus of the issue or have it be about the return of the X-Men and them needing to replace the, the seats in the council or, you know, like, like I'm interested in every one of the things that this issue sets up, but this issue feels like a lot of telling me about that stuff and being like, look forward to it, kid. You know, um, okay, though, I think, I think, I think you could have set up all those threads in this issue. It just wasn't paced well. Maybe. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's an argument to be made. Um, but for me, I think it's like it has so much to juggle that like you only get a few pages on each of these things. So it's almost like I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right that there is just like an execution problem here and that it could have been solved another way. But I also feel like you're trying to spin so many plates and give me so much information so that you don't have to give me this information again later, ideally, um, that it just doesn't feel like there's much room for actual storytelling. Well, when you have nine panel spreads of just people close up on people's faces talking, like you're wasting space then. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with that inherently, but I do agree with that in the context of this issue for what it's worth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm I'm pretty happy with everything else that happened in this issue, but the Krakoa Arako development. I don't mind the nine panel grids. I think it's super effective for the council scenes. That's something that um, Hickman has employed very well with 
the artists that he's worked with uh, on these sequences. I think this this one is not an exception. Uh, it, it it's, For me, it works fine. What I'm uh, unhappy with is what they're talking about. The, the like, it's just I for me. That's not like I have to accept it because it is what it is. But I just I'm not happy with the idea that we just went through all of this for nothing. Uh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't know because like it's 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 weird. It's the same way I felt at, and I believe the conversation we had in our wrap up around X of Swords, where it's like I. I am interested and satisfied with the fallout of X of Swords, even though I didn't like the event. Like, I'm interested in the the thread of the reestablishment of the X-Men and the vote. I think that's going to be cool. Uh, finding the new seats on the council, I think, is going to be cool. The introduction of the Araco mutants and that there's, like, t- they. I think they said that there was 10 for every one of the Krakoan mutants, which means, like, all of a sudden, not only is there this, like, internal mutant conflict again, but there's also this huge potential pool of future X-Men and, you know, mutants and cool characters that we can get into. So, like, all that shit sounds good. Like, I'm I'm still down for what comes next, but, like, I was really excited for this issue, and it just feels like, you know, Phil said fluff. I think, yeah, it's like, it feels like setup and fluff. And, like... We're laying pieces again so that you can eventually get to the track going somewhere. And like, fine. Like I'm I'm happy to give Hickman, you know, that rope, but coming off of X of Swords, I wanted to have this issue feel like Okay, we're back. We're back in the rhythm of things. And like this was a bit of a letdown for sure. What do you guys think about the idea of the x-men being something that is essentially a popularity contest i i don't hate it because i think i think it makes sense for the context of like how they're trying to contextualize the x-men in krakoa because like to me i feel like it 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 makes the X-Men feel like, um, I don't know, I guess like more akin to how like humanity would look at the Avengers on some level, right? Where it's like, oh, like this is supposed to be like representative of like mutants, like, you know, greatest heroes and like what, you know, they can offer as like these beacons of hope and all the, I don't know, like it feels like a little bit of like the old fashioned like hero worship being brought into the new society of Krakoa. You know what I mean? It feels kind of meta, doesn't it? Like, yeah, inherently superhero teams are meant to be comprised of like fan favorites, right? Like you take all your favorite characters and throw them on a team together. And so that's happening in, in universe here. So there's something kind of meta about that. Uh, with regard to its actual functionality, I don't know. I think there's some plot threads that can be pulled here. that are interesting. Like, um, I'm not inherently opposed to the idea. It, like anything else, it depends on how well it's executed. Maybe there will be ramifications for having a popularity contest involved in picking like a high, highly skilled group of basic mutant seals to execute all the shit they got to do. Maybe there'll be some significant drawbacks to that. That's, uh, like you get a group of characters that don't like each other. 
Like right? Like, or, or giant egos. Yeah. Like a bunch of like, a, like it's like a super group problem where it's a bunch of A-listers that can't get along, you know? Um, I feel like there's a lot you can wring out of that. Mm. What do you think, Sean? Generally agree with what you guys are, are putting down. Um, I think the concept is interesting. On its face, I'm not like really enthused about it. But only because, again, I, I can't stress this enough. I feel as though Jonathan Hickman is drip feeding. And I'm not. I, I want a little bit more. Yeah. Sure. I, I'm with you there where like I'm at a point where I'm 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 getting a little sick of the of the pace. You know, like I want more quicker or more that feels meatier. Um and like I've said it before, it's like I'm a I'm a Robert Kirkman fan. Like I'm fine with a fucking slow burn. I'm fine with that. But like I also feel like we've been in this event now for like what almost two years. Listen, um, a, a slow burn still has to be satisfying. Exactly. Though. Right. A slow burn has to have narrative, like, substance to it that makes you, like, or, or character things that make you care. And there really isn't any of that. That said, a good bit would be if, like, the character who, like, won the popular vote by the most was a character you've never even heard of. Like, and, like, it's like him or her? Yeah, it would be funny. Like, just a really dumb bit. And they suck. <laughs> so, um,. A couple of things. One of them is that we see that characters from the Iraqi pillar are eligible um, for this vote. I'm not sure where the Iraqi pillar is or if that encompasses any mutants that are from Iraqo. Um, I would need to take a look at the, the map of Krakoa to know that, but I just thought... I would imagine yes, though. Okay. Um, and then the other thing, this is something that's been going around. It's it's um, not a lot of people talking about it, but now it's it's like on Front Street, especially to me since I recently read rumors about it. But they mentioned the Hellfire Gala, and that's something that has come up actually in several issues of um, you know X Men related books, not necessarily the X Men main title, but books within this. Um, umbrella and it appears as though the hellfire gala is going to be the centerpiece of whatever the next event is like the next event for the x-men will take place during the hellfire gala yeah um, great another dinner scene we haven't seen that in the last three months uh, the, what I read off of Bleeding Cool was that the next X event is likely to be uh, smaller scale uh, than than uh, Ten of Swords as well. Uh, real quick before we move on, uh, we talked somewhat about the art. We talked a little bit about the panel breakdowns and things like that. Um, Phil Noto is not going to be with us long. Um, Brett Booth is on his way. But how did you guys feel about Noto's work here? It's not bad. Um, I. It's one of those things where I think I'm just so attached to, you know, the team that we've had on this book that, like, oh, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be hard to find somebody I, I vibe with as much. I I think it looks good. I think it's like, serviceable. It's good, but I, I I think in terms of modeling and stuff, uh, and colors, like 
I have no issues with designing or anything like that. It's just like it's the creativity, I guess, is the thing that bothers me. Uh, you know, there's so many close-ups on faces and reusing of faces and stuff like that. Like, if I'm being sincere, there's not a single page in this entire book that I walk. I'm walking away going like, "Wow, everything is just serviceable or repetitive." Yeah. So with with Phil Noto's work, I think his facial work is actually really strong. A lot of the characters look good up close, but the the bodies don't look as good. Um, everybody looks almost kind of like slouched or or uh, uncomfortable, um, or they don't have enough like mass to them. I wasn't I wasn't overly enthused um, about his body work, but I think the faces are strong. And, you know, when you're given an issue where everyone is just standing around talking, uh, I think this is the kind of artist that you want. Someone who's going to bring it when it comes to the close-ups and things like that, because that's how you tell stories where everybody's just chatting. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. So, uh, X-Men number 17 will be out next month. We'll of course be reviewing it. Um, this is not the strongest entry into the X-Men series, but to be honest, this is kind of what Hickman's been doing for a while. Um, so, you know, it's more of the same. Hopefully they pick up the pace here real soon. Uh, let's get into the news. And, and so the news this week is going to be more, uh, movie focused because we got a lot of movie stuff, um, news and announcements and things like that. Um, and we're going to start with the DC side because the biggest news that we got this week absolutely came from over in that camp. So Walter Hamada is the, the president of DC films, and he recently made an announcement about, um, he did an interview with the New York Times, and he talked a lot about what the plans are going forward for DC Films and how they're going to integrate HBO Max into the overall film slate for DC. We know that Disney Plus has become the home for television as it relates to Marvel Studios. HBO Max is going even bigger, and they're saying they want to release up to four movies a year in theaters for DC films and two a year on HBO Max beginning in 2022. Uh, ambitious. Yeah. Definitely. That's a word. Definitely. Ambitious. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's hard not to start conversations about DC's plans from a place of immediate skepticism and snark, honestly, at this point. You know, like we make that joke that it's ambitious, but like it's real ambitious for a studio that is really like lacked vision. Uh, <laughs> Certainly not a Wilson Fisk. No. And. The idea, this to me reminds me of 
you know, a couple of years ago, I, I, I think it was now, but like when they had that, that period where they were like, oh, we're announcing a bunch of movies. Like there's going to be the Joss Whedon Batgirl and there's going to be uh, a Supergirl movie and there's going to be uh, 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 this movie and this movie. And, this, and how many of those actually came into existence? And how many of them are still maybe in development? And how many iterations of the plan in are we now? You know, to the point where this news, it's like, okay, I mean, A, will this even happen? And B, if it does, let's like be real. Put all of the DC movies that they've made, you know, since uh, Nolan's Batman trilogy on the table. How many are there that like a, a, a significant number of people would stand by as, as being quality? Right, I think, I think a decent amount, actually, surprisingly. I mean, but like, what? Like maybe half? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's not good, right? Like that's still bad. Um, and I think that's being generous. Like, is there an audience? Yeah, but I think the general narrative, right, is that they're not good. Marvel movies are good, and the DC movies are not good. And. The idea of them being like, we're going to put out more movies a year. It's like, that doesn't inspire much from me because I Wonder Woman was the movie I think I liked the most up until now. And we just got a bad sequel. So like coming off of that, especially, it's like, all right. So Hamada said, um, he said that they plan to work with filmmakers to develop movie offshoots. TV series that will run on HBO Max and interconnect with their big screen endeavors. With every movie Very that original. we're looking at now, we are thinking, what's the potential Max spinoff? We've talked about uh, the Gotham series that they're working on, the Suicide Squad spinoff, Peacemaker. So those are TV shows that they're going to be spinning off from movies. But in addition to that, we know that some of the movies that they plan on making for HBO Max are the movies that they are... A little bit unsure about. So examples. This is a quote from Hamada. Uh, that the HBO Max films could be focused on riskier characters. Like Batgirl and Static Shock. I fucking knew it. As soon as you said that. I knew I was going to be like. Oh what? Like black superheroes and women? Yeah. Okay. Great job guys. First of all. Walter Hamada. The character's name is Static. Not Static Shock. That was the TV show. Character Static. Might want to know that. Maybe. Sounds like he's Static. He doesn't have to know it, Sean. He's a risky character. <laughs> uh, second of all... Fucking A, man. In what world is Batgirl risky... Batgirl has been a popular character in, like, Western canon since the fucking 50s. Like, <laughs> Adam West TV show, uh, featured in her own comic book titles for years. Like, if I asked my dad to name fucking 10 superheroes, I bet Batgirl would probably be one of them. And you're going to tell me that's risky? Okay. <laughs> it, sure. It's just hard to... It's that That type of thought process is the problem so, 
It's so old fashioned. That's so like that. This feels like the kind of story we like. This reminds me of like 2012 when they put out like the Avengers toys and there wasn't a Black Widow toy and that was like a major controversy. And it was like, oh, it's just old white executives being I old white it. executives. Yeah, right. And it's just like, oh, girl, boys don't want to play with a Black Widow doll. First of all, yes, they do. Second of all, girls watch the movies too. It's 2021. Guys, like when I was growing we up, we had this conversation nine years ago. When I was growing up in the nineties, me and my uncle used to chase down the 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 female hero toys because they were so hard to find, and I really really wanted them. I loved that the fact that I had a rogue toy and a Psylocke toy. You want to know which toy I never had? Jean Grey. I could never I could never find a Jean Grey toy and that was my favorite character and i'm a male dude (laughs) i i remember as a kid like having that like gender binary with toys and characters and stuff like pushed on me way more than i ever felt like oh boys don't want to play with girls it's like i i liked plenty of stuff that was like female fronted you know it's just like there were no there weren't options because i was told i wouldn't like it you know like it's so fucking stupid like yeah man my best friend as a kid was a girl and i'd go to her house and she'd have like barbies and shit like yeah fuck yeah i'll play with barbies i don't give a fuck all right so now I'm you're admitting to old. barbies that's the blue <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah that's right so this this announcement, I'm I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't been more pushback. Not even necessarily because of the the obvious like, hey, you haven't even made like a significant amount of good movies. Maybe you should focus on a less is more approach. Put that aside <laughs> for a moment. What if we developed more bad movies? Why is the idea that the the HBO Max movies should be the quote riskier projects that happen to be minority characters. Look at Marvel's uh, approach. Marvel said, "Well, no one knows who the Guardians are, so we're going to tell them who they are. The Guardians aren't A-listers. We're going to make them A-listers. No one cares about Ant Man. You're gonna care about Ant Man. Um, Black Panther's not really that well known. He's gonna become the biggest black superhero of all time." That's the blueprint that Marvel has used. By the way, didn't have access to all their characters until now, and they still don't. And they made it work. Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, these were not A-list characters B to in C 2007. They were not. Anthony Anthony Mackie, Don Cheadle, you guys are getting TV shows, not movies. Well, yeah. No, you're right. But I but like... I think the funniest thing, though, right, is that DC is clearly fucking copying what Marvel's doing right now, you know, and they're just doing it worse. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll do that, too. We'll do that, too. Um, well, I'll tell you what. In all sincerity, snark aside, when they talk about these riskier projects going to HBO Max, I am intrigued by that. To me, that sounds like they could have less executive interference because they're just Throwing around the streaming platform, and that, like on face value, maybe could be good. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, that's 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 not a bad point, right? Like you look at like Joker, right? Like I didn't like the movie, but that was a movie that's like a lower budget that was allowed more creative freedom. Like that that can work. Worked with Logan, um, 
so fair point. Maybe there's maybe there's like a creative upside to this. There could um, be. We don't know all the details, so that's why I'm not trying to speak wholesale, but it's yeah. possible. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's a good counterpoint, I think, to bring up to measure the response that we're having. But like I also don't think that the response to a the move and b the comments from the powers that be yeah I, it doesn't make those things less cringy nope <laughs> i'm not um, pushing back on that no right and like here's the thing right if we get a good static movie if we get a good background movie i don't really fucking care if it's in theaters or not or where it comes sure. from. if it's good it's good great um but my thing is like Look at the track record. Like, what reason do we have to believe that they will be good? Well, uh, listen, for the for the most part, since you know Justice League, their movies have been mostly good. Oh yeah, like well, or or or, or at least all right. Oh yeah, they've been they've yes. been better, I guess. So there's been <laughs> so there's been Aquaman, which was all right. There was Shazam, which was all right. There was the uh, Birds of Prey, which was pretty good. It was, and it was all right. Now, now it was all right. Well, that's what I'm saying. All right to good, and then there was Wonder Woman, which was good. So what? Like, for the most part, the first one. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that okay. All right. <laughs> so, for the most part, their movies have not been actively bad since. You know, either Dawn of Justice or Justice League. I don't exactly remember the time. And that's and that's you. I would say Wonder Woman one and two were bad, uh, or at least not good. Um, Shazam, I don't think was particularly good. And I enjoyed Aquaman a lot, and I enjoyed Joker a lot. Oh, and, and Joker was it. good. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention Joker. So, um, I think collectively those movies were not received poorly i should say like sure you look at dawn of justice and justice league those movies were received actively poorly i I think this other batch of movies have either been actively received as being like not as highly received as a marvel movie but they haven't been panned either yeah but like that's not saying much well that's not a conversation you know because it's like because even the marvel movies like they like they're popular but they have they get a lot of flack right um, these movies are not even as good as that, which is like in a lot of people's mind, barely clearing a bar. So it's like, I don't know, dude. They, I don't. They do receive a lot of flack, but like critically, they are all beloved. Eighties, ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The Marvel yeah. ones, I mean. So it's true. Let me let me shift gears just a little. Think about the difference in the way that we learn about Marvel's projects versus the way that we learn about DC's projects. This is the executive going to the New York Times and saying, yeah, we're going to pump out a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah. And he's name dropping comic characters that he doesn't even quite know the name of. Um, and it's just it's 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 just robotic. It's it's a guy in a suit telling you, hey, those characters you love and cherish, yeah, we're going to use them for cash. Now, I'm not saying that Marvel's not doing that. Obviously, the goal, the end goal is to make as much money as possible. But Kevin Feige doesn't go to the New York Times to make the announcement about how many movies they're going to put out. They'll do a big, cool, 
um, you know, thing where they'll release a bunch of videos, trailers, and announcements that get you excited with the cast on stage. And they there's love put exactly. It fe- even though I know that the goal is money, and I know it's a marketing machine, it feels good to get excited about their work. Whereas with DC, I can't get excited because it's just a guy in a suit telling me what it's going to be. I also think that people, I here's the thing, right? Like I. I fucking have talked about the evils of capitalism on this show. We don't need to talk about that preamble, right? But, like, people want to act as if there is no way that commercial art can also be, like, made with love and care. And that's not true. Um, And I think that, like, what Marvel does, like regardless of the fact that it is a marketing machine and that like they made black Panther so that they could sell toys and all this kind of stuff or whatever, like there's still love and thought and care put into not just the movies, but like the announcements of the movies and the legacy of the movies. And like, I I think it's like, it's clear that like there's more thought and, and care put into every single thing that's done in the MCU versus what DC is doing. We're like, they're clearly throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, I think, I think, I think on one hand saying that Marvel puts more effort in its presentation is, you know, it's, you can't even argue it. It's a hundred percent true, but that effort in presentation doesn't make me feel more enthusiastic for their movies necessarily. I, I don't really care about the preamble. I, I, I like that. I appreciate that. It makes a lot of people excited. But them, you know, Warner Brothers executives going to the New York Times talking about their future projects versus, you know, Disney having a whole pomp and circumstance has no impact on my, you know, anticipation for any of these movies. Like, at the end of the day... Really? It doesn't? Like, not not even a little. But, like, to me, it's not even about the hype. It's about the fact that, like... When Kevin Feige comes out and tells me this is what the future of Marvel looks like, I, I believe that. What was the first thing that we said when they when we read this news? That's ambitious. Oh, I wonder if that'll actually happen. Sure. That to me is the big difference, is that the the care and the thought put into it to me shows that there's listen. There's a future. There's listen, a plan. The movie I'm most excited for is a Warner Brothers movie. It's, you know, Denny Villeneuve's Dune, but that movie didn't have a huge pop and circumstance cycle like circus to put it out. That's fine. I don't I know it's different. I, I I'm just saying that kind of presentation doesn't impact my interest in a movie at all because it's it, it is there to generate hype. And that's it works. People like get, you know, they want to be on the hype train. I get it. It's not a disparaging comment either. It's just that's something that personally has no impact on my anticipation for something. Well, so that that's something that doesn't bother. Okay, so let's let's talk about another element of their film plans and strategy because Hamada also talked about the multiverse element of what they plan to do. He said, I don't think anyone else has ever attempted this, but audiences are sophisticated enough to understand it. (laughs) What? If we make good movies, they will go with it. So what he's specifically talking about is the idea 
that there can be multiple people playing the same character in different environments that are not related in any way, shape, or form, and that audiences will get into it. So how there's a Joker movie, and we also have uh, Jared Leto's Joker, and we also have you know Batman, played by Ben Affleck, but also Robert Pattinson, and how everyone will be on board and understand this and be cool. I have a big problem with that. We've had this debate on the show before. So, fine. Here's my thing laid out real quick. That's not true. It is not true. I don't know who these people think go to the movies. It's not that they're dumb. It's that they're not, not everybody is as connected to all of this as we are. There's, there are people in my life who don't, who still don't necessarily fully grasp what character is Marvel and what character is sure. DC? Sure. Okay. Oh yeah. There are people who ask me if Joker was a prequel to the Dark Knight trilogy. Do you understand how little that makes sense? But that's what people ask because they don't know because DC doesn't care to make it clear. One human being on earth has played Robert Downey Jr. In a live action Iron Man movie. I'm sorry. What per- has played, to play has played Tony, Tony Stark. Stark. That's how synonymous they are. That Yeah, that speaks to what you're fucking talking about One though, right? One person <laughs> has played Captain America. One person has played Thor. And it's very simple. It's easy to understand. It's a linear track. But when you have multiple people who've played already The Flash. There's two people who've played The Flash across uh live action tv and the movie and then a third if you count um the old stuff but forget about that that's not good it's not good well that raises the question then sean what's gonna happen in spider-man 3 when we have three live action spider-man in one movie i'll tell i'll i'll tell i'm so (laughs) so glad (laughs) that you asked me that question because i think you think that was a bait question but it's not because you activated my trap card so i'm going to tell you exactly why that's bad for marvel but they turned it into a good thing because kevin feige is a god here's the answer spider-man originally toby mcguire everyone liked it it was very good we accepted it, and for the most part, people couldn't think of anything else as Spider-Man except for Tobey Maguire. We know the diminishing returns. It's not even a question. It doesn't even matter how good the Amazing Spider-Man movies were versus the original trilogy. The fact of the matter is that people already didn't want a reboot. They didn't want it. Go back to those uh, to like 2011 when they when they announced the the actor and everything else Andrew Garfield people did not want that then they rebooted again and people didn't want that the only reason they accepted it was because it was Marvel but I'm telling you that they had a very thin rope to walk and if they had done Uncle Ben and the whole origin again I think they would have sunk in fact in fact Sony was afraid of rebooting Spider-Man again, but they had no choice because they fired Andrew Garfield. So either way, someone knew had to play Spider-Man, but they knew if they rebooted again, they would lose all the cachet that Spider-Man had on screen. If it wasn't for Kevin Feige and Marvel, 
Spider-Man would be a perfect example of what I'm talking about. But they get it right, and DC doesn't. I, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head there, Sean. Um, and I was going to bring that up because the only example we have of a relevant Marvel character being played by multiple actors in this way is Spider-Man. And it's literally a meme, right? Like, it doesn't matter materially. The MCU Spider-Man landed and it, it is what it is. Um, but, like, we talked about this a few episodes ago. Like, there was a joke in the last season of The Good Place that was referencing how many Spider-Man reboots there have been in the last 10 years, right? Like, that's a thing that is, like, known in pop culture, that normal people are like, why are there so many fucking Spider-Man movies? Why are there nine Spider-Man movies? Like, why are there so many different Spider-Men? Like, that's a thing. But this doesn't address how audiences will receive Three live-action Spider-Man in the same film. That's the thing that I'm curious about. Oh, 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 I see. Guess what? That's exciting. It's hype. That's that's hype as hell. And if they did that with, like, Batman, for example, it would also be hype. The difference is I'm hyped because I trust Marvel to get it right. I would not to be actually hyped. do something that exactly. would be cool. I, be- I believe that. I think comic book fans are hype. I think MCU fans are hype. My question is how will normal moviegoers react i don't i I don't actually know the answer i think it totally depends on the quality of the film i think if the movie is good uh anybody who's old enough like if you're our age and you have nostalgia for the toby Maguire movies or if you're older and you have nostalgia for it then it lands right that makes you emotional um and if you're like young blood and you don't know them and you only know the mcu peter parker or whatever and it's hype then it's just hype and you're like, I I watched Spider-Verse. I yeah, I was this. just about to say, we, we have Spider-Verse was that. And it was a, it already a proved massive it. success. People love this idea. But here's the difference. Three people have played Batman th- in the last decade. Well, okay, that that's not completely true. Robert Pattinson hasn't yet. We He hasn't acted yet. yet. But we saw him. In a trailer for a movie that will be released, and would and and that was within a ten year time frame. Three people. What is going on? Then there's going to be a movie that's going to have one of the Batman from 1989 on screen with the Batman from 2015. While within one year of that, a whole other Batman movie will come out with a completely different actor that has That's nothing not to do related. with what I just told you. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's hard to follow. That's ridiculous. So this multiverse that and they're talking about is going to go nowhere. I think it's going to land like a wet fart because they're trying to inject the most like uh, – gatekeepy like most off-putting part of comic books into comic book movies and when you look at the mcu and why it's successful it's the same reason that casuals like image comics or whatever right it's because it's a straight fucking line it's that if today in 2021 you're like you know what i'm finally gonna bite the bullet and get into this whole marvel thing you could start with iron man and watch them in a straight line and know what the fuck is happening and it's clear what's happening it's not a thing you need to go read a cbr article about to understand right like normal ass people get the infinity gauntlet thanos like things that like 
Years ago, you would have been like, how the fuck would they ever make that into a movie? How the fuck could they ever make an Avengers movie that feels cohesive, that normal people will buy, that Iron Man and the Hulk and Thor and are all on the same team? That makes no fucking sense. It, but it does. And it's easy to make it make sense. But you have to have vision. You have to have a controlled you know, rollout, not just keep looking at what your competitor is doing and doing a cheap facsimile. That's the problem because it's not even that they're aping what Marvel's doing. They're aping it and doing a shit job. Like, look at Oreo, man. You don't need to be the first. You need to be the best. And they're neither. We got to move on. But I want to end this conversation or at least get around to ending it with a quote from Walter Hamada from uh, August during like the fandom hype. He said, we're trying to keep it as simple as that. Like there is that one earth that exists in Justice League and then the beginnings of another earth that is happening in its early stages of the Batman. And then obviously there are outliers like the Joker, which doesn't exist in either earth, but that's okay. It's all part of the multiverse. Matt Reeves can continue to build out his Gotham and he's got great plans on how to build it out and build it out in a way that's innovative. What? I mean, again, like that makes sense to me. But I'm a fucking dork with a comic book podcast and I've been reading comics for most of my life. Like, I don't think that makes sense to my dad or, you know, to the 12-year-old who wants to go see a Batman I don't think that makes sense to my girlfriend. Okay? I don't – like, I have friends that read comics, like, sporadically. This doesn't make sense to them. They've asked me, is the Batman a prequel to Ben Affleck's Batman? There should not be that kind of confusion. And of course there's that confusion because why wouldn't you think that, right? Like, that makes more sense. So you got the last word. No, I don't really have anything else to say. Everything else, everything you've said pretty much tracks. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, Thank you for telling the people I'm right. Great podcast, guys. So I want (laughs) to... What am I going to (laughs) argue? No, no, I was just just kidding. (laughs) I feel like we're all very smart, well said. I'm not going to argue for the sake of arguing. Oh, uh, I thought that was your MO on the show. <laughs> I've evolved. I, have I, didn't say, I didn't say it, Sean. So. <laughs> well, I'm trying to get something oh. out of it. Um, all right, fine. So instead, we'll talk about Wonder Woman, keeping it with the DC on film stuff. Uh, with this headline from comicbook.com, Wonder Woman 1984 is the lowest rated DCEU movie on IMDb. What? Yep. That makes no sense. <laughs> Wonder Woman 1984. I don't know if I said that. Okay. Did. Yeah. It's not their worst movie. No. Somehow. It overtook Suicide like, Squad. That's fucking crazy to me. I mean, like, I get it. Like, it's kind of a nothing burger of a movie, so I can kind of understand that, where, like, movies that are, like, nothing, I feel like sometimes get lambasted more than movies that are, like, really divisively bad. Like, there are people that will argue with you, like, through fucking pursed lips that Batman v Superman is a masterpiece. Wow, I don't know about a masterpiece, film. but. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there yeah, are no, motherfuckers no, yeah, like that. I've had that conversation. You know, and it's like, I, I don't know, dude. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Zack Snyder has his uh, loyal following, for sure. So, I think with Wonder Woman specifically... There is a level of, I look at this and I think, wow, that's really terrible. But then I also think how much of this is people just bashing it because it's Wonder Woman. That I don't like. I don't support that. 
Is that a is that a thing for this one? You I oh I don't I don't I, I'm I'm not gonna say it was because I don't know, but I always think about it when it comes to Wonder Woman, when it comes to Captain Marvel, yeah. because there are people who just hate them because they're women and that sucks. And they their scores yep. got dragged down for sure. Um Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman's scores got dragged down. The first Wonder Woman. We might yeah. be out of that phase, but that's always in my mind. I don't think we are. Like, I think it's one of those things where just because it's not a story doesn't mean that it's not an angle to the story. You know, like I. Yeah, but there's a paper trail for this stuff. Usually, like there's yeah. a 4chan thread that's been archived that'll be like, oh, everyone blood IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes to drag down the score. And that's where the articles are based on. Right. Like there's there's a paper trail of these things. So that's why I'm asking, was that a thing this I I have seen a conversation about there being an attitude of misogyny in terms of like people being like the movie is bad because of X reason like this doesn't make sense and it's a thing that you've seen in other superhero movies like Heather Antos was tweeting about this um which like I don't I don't agree with that take because you know she liked the movie that's fine you can like the movie I don't think the movie is bad because of any of those things it's bad because it's structurally bad um but I also think that there is some validity to what Sean's saying where that like I think there is a not insignificant percentage of moviegoers who will always have that reaction to a movie that is fronted by a woman. Period. I think you're right. I do want to say uh you know no disrespect to Heather Antos by all accounts awesome person but that perspective ruins the discourse that we're allowed to have around these things because it creates a if you don't like this you're x and that's that's not yeah. cool that's not cool that has no business in this space and i don't rock like that um i didn't like wonder woman 1984 i'm not a misogynist i just don't think it was a well put together movie and i'm dying <laughs> for wonder woman to be done properly I, ironically, one of the main things we criticized it for was that it felt like it made its two main female characters take a back seat. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely, they, I, definitely not our issue yeah. with it. <laughs> um, so, I, I actually wanted to read a YouTube comment that we got um, on our Wonder Woman 1984 review from Retrospectations. He said, "Yeah, by no means was it bad, but very flawed. I love going to the theaters, even in these times, and had a great time." Some scenes lend well to a nice screen and good sound. Some bad writing, overly long scenes, pacing wasn't great. It's like a three out of five. Still great characters, solid casting, and a fun movie, just many issues. Uh, thank you for writing in. I think that's a pretty balanced uh, review for the movie. Um, I think a three out of five is probably in line, roughly, with what we kind of said about it. Um, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and Pete did too. It's it's nothing. Like I'm not thinking about it after the fact because it left me with something to think about that was positive. I'm thinking about it because of like, wow, what could have been. Yeah. It's and, interesting how seemingly divisive it is though. Uh because you will have these Heather Antos. Uh I, I when I say I I mean in the sense that there are a lot of people like her that really enjoyed the film. Good. Like I yeah, yeah, obviously, you know, if you enjoy it, well, all the power to you. What's the Rotten Tomato score? It's like sixty percent something I right now. That speaks to the fact that there are people out there that really did enjoy the movie. Um, uh, I can't remember the last. Uh, maybe Joker was the last time a movie came out that was this kind of polarizing between, like, between 
because well, you know what? No, because the difference is there were people that actively hated the Joker like Pete or and there were people that enjoyed the movie like Sean and I. With this, it seems like you either really enjoyed the movie or as you guys have put it, it's nothing. Well, like we don't actively hate it. It I feel more like I feel more apathy for it, if anything. But Joker similarly potentially because we don't know exactly what the preconceived notions were about Wonder Woman 1984, but a lot of people went into Joker wanting to dislike it, ready to dislike it, like just it wasn't there was nothing the movie could do or say that was going to convince them that it was worth their time. Right. Um but that being said, Wonder Woman 3 is on the fast track to release. You know, it's funny. Um, so a week before Wonder Woman 1984 came out, Patty Jenkins talked about how Warner Brothers uh, interfered with her desired conclusion of the first Wonder Woman. And as many of us would say, that is the worst part of the first Wonder Woman movie, is that really bad-looking and like kind of out-of-left-field climax. So when that came out, all of us were feeling a greater sense of enthusiasm for this Wonder Woman sequel. And I don't know how much, you know, executive power she had over this one versus the first one, but, you know, it made me less enthusiastic for Patty Jenkins behind the wheel of a third Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Um, coming off the first Wonder Woman movie, I was, like, really excited about Patty Jenkins. I was like, this movie shows like a lot of promise, and yeah, the third act is bad, but that was something that I remember even at the time kind of having the feeling of like, this feels like a studio mandate thing. Like, there needs to be a big fight. There needs to be a climax, whatever, right? Like, that doesn't work, but the other things really do, and I can't wait to see what she does next. And then this movie, it's like, oh, I don't know, and and, and it leaves me wondering, is it still an issue of studio interference and is she not like, I don't know, like a director with like enough clout or, or even maybe like the argument to be made like enough, um, you know, like, 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 is she standing up for, for her vision as much as she should be, right? Like any of those kinds of questions um, or was this her given more freedom and with that freedom, it went off the rails. Either answer is not satisfying. And it leaves me going into a potential Wonder Woman 3 being like, I don't... Now I'm back where I was going into Wonder Woman 1. Where I'm like, yeah, I want it to be good, but why should I expect it to be good? It's um, it's hard to imagine... <laughs> Pun intended, you'll see where I'm going with this. It's hard to imagine that Warner Brothers envisioned the ending of Wonder Woman 1984 being Gal Gadot singing Imagine to everyone and lulling them into pacifism. <laughs> i got you i got what you were putting yeah on. yeah um so i've read a lot of patty jenkins interviews recently and i get the feeling that she learned a lot of lessons um about how to deal with the studio after the first wonder woman uh it performing well gave her a lot more clout that she didn't have and she's yeah. got that star wars project yep. coming out now. and she has which i was excited she for. has said that she uh was severely underpaid and she fought for that uh for this movie she said that um there were certain plot elements that she fought really hard for in fact uh the dual openings of the film the amazon scene and then the wonder woman in the um 
in the, in the, the shopping, shopping mall scene. Those are both scenes that she fought for because the studio wanted to cut one of them. Those are the best scenes in the movie. They were, yeah, they were solid. So I, I'm, I am approaching my thought process about this film as if Patty Jenkins had as much control as Patty Jenkins needed, especially because my problems aren't necessarily any one part of the movie. It's like all of the movie, like like a lo- too large a portion of the movie for it to be to, for it to come down to studio interference in my eyes. I think that's fair to say. I, I guess like that. I guess it's more like the question of like, is this does this movie feel disjointed because she couldn't manage it or because it was a film made by committee? And I think that you're probably right that it was less that and more she had more creative control than she had in the first movie, and that that just didn't come together. That didn't materialize well. well. And the other thing is, it seems like Warner Brothers is giving their directors a little more creative leeway in their projects that reflects the comments from the warner brother executives at the fandom last summer where they talked about like you know what it's the same thing with the comic books right now where it's like you know matt reeves can make his batman movie we'll still have a different batman movie with ben affleck your criticism of the overarching nature that you know merited for sure but the thing that we can get out of that for this conversation is it seems like they're letting matt reeves do what he's going to do for batman and you know obviously um uh, what's his name from the Hangover movies got to do what he wanted to do for Joker. Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. So I, it's hard to imagine that, you know, I, I think. I th- She's an anchor for them. They're not They're not going to push her out of the equation by over, over uh, bear, being overbearing. Uh, Hell, they even let Zack Snyder do what he was going to do for multiple yeah. movies, except for well, Justice. He League. is Zack Snyder. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but I but I mean like even even with that um <laughs> No, let that sit for a second. <laughs> with with that context though, right? And and I guess this is the last point I want to make on this before I I'm done. Um is just that like we don't totally know cuz you ha- you give the example of like, oh, they let Zack Snyder do what he wanted to do, right? Sure. But then they didn't let Patty Jenkins do what she wanted to do on Wonder Woman 1. And that was after those movies. So like there's clearly been an ebb and flow. Sure, and they underpaid and, her. So Right, and I was going to say it's also worth pointing out that she's a woman and like she's going to encounter uh challenges dealing with the studio and on set that like a Zack Snyder well, does. They, they also think. didn't let Zack Snyder do what he wanted to do. I mean, Justice League was supposed to be two right. parts. He like there's so the, the fact that a Snyder cut exists shows proves that. that. Fact. They were yeah. well. They that, were that's complicated. But yeah, yes. but we know we already. This is a well-worn territory. We know that Zack Snyder was not allowed to do what he wanted to do after Batman vs Superman came in soft for DC. It's a fact. So, with that being said, you look at that and you go, they don't know what they want to do, and now they seem to have figured out what they feel is the right course of action, and it worked with Joker. Um, and I, I would say it worked with uh, with Aquaman, and you know Phil Phil pointed out movies that people like, so fine. I just I'm choosing to believe, unless she says otherwise, that Patty Jenkins got to tell the story she wanted to tell. Yeah. So with with that in mind, um, my hype level for Wonder Woman three is has plummeted, um, and I'm I'm back at 
the way I felt after the first trailer for Wonder Woman, where I, I remember tweeting about it or whatever, being like, yeah, I mean, this is a cool trailer, but why are people excited about this? They've yet to make a good movie. Um, and now that's kind of where I'm back at, where it's like, okay, like, I, I thought the trailers for this movie looked great, and I was excited for this movie. Um, and then it really, dis- like, it underperformed, I think, in terms of quality. So, like, until I'm sitting down watching Wonder Woman 3, like, I, uh, I'm i kind of back there, where it's like, all right, prove to me that this is something worth my time, otherwise I might skip it. You know, like, uh, you know, like, or I'm, I'm, I, I won't have that, that eagerness to check it out. Hey, man, they're bringing her into the modern era. Finally, uh, I think that's, I think it was a, a big mistake to not do that, at least with the second movie. So, um, for that alone, um, I mean, I'm in, it is what it is. Yep. Uh, let's move forward and let's let's talk about the 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 other side of the uh, superhero film coin, that being Marvel Studios. <laughs> there is a chance that Marvel Studios could release content every single week in 2021. Is that like? Is there st- except this week? Except this week, right? Okay, <laughs> near, nearly every week. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> so, um, okay, right. So we're getting Wandavision, which starts, which starts January fifteenth, which I'm super okay. excited about. Me too. So man. that's gonna last if it's eight episodes. That will last all the way to March fifth. There's a show called Marvel Studios Legends, uh, which they're also going to be putting out, which is going to, um, well, there there will be a batch of those episodes uh, releasing March 12th. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes out March 19th. Um, then we've got, on the movie end, we've got Black Widow, May 7th. Shang-Chi, July 9th, Eternals, November 5th, uh, Spider-Man 3, December 17th. Um, the the actually the uh the Marvel Studios Legends begins officially January 8th. So if we get all the shows we're supposed to get and we get all the movies we're supposed to get on time, it's possible that January 1st could be the only Friday that we don't get anything new from the MCU. I somewhere in the multiverse, every version of Kale is growing. <laughs> <laughs> They're all descending upon Kevin Feige's mansion to blow it up. Uh. <laughs> so let's let's say that that's true, right? Or something in that realm is true. How do you feel? We had an 18-month gap. Now 2021 is looking like it's going to be dominated by MCU content. How do you feel about that? I think that they are in real, real danger of jumping the shark here. Um, we we did a whole episode about the future of the MCU post-Endgame and like what Phase 4 looks like and how do they maintain momentum and all that kind of stuff. Um. 
and I just uh, I don't know. Like I I I said that I was excited for MCU stuff to come back this year, and I still I still am. I stand by that. Um, but it's funny because when we had the episode where we talked about all the announcements, I was like, I'm hyped. Like some of these are really cool, and I'm excited about this. Hearing the there will be something new from the MCU every single week is like a little bit like, oof. It kind of reminds me of when they announced that there's going to be 15 Star Wars shows on Disney+. Plus, and I was like, that's a lot. I don't want that many. And I don't necessarily feel that same way about Marvel. Um, but I don't know. That, that, that could just as easily be a bad thing as a good thing. Phil? You know... I I don't think I I don't think it bothers me that much. I know that might sound surprising. Sure does. But <laughs> I think Phil's re- back in. No, that's not why. Yeah, you are. You said it on the last episode. Well, I, like I love movies and I love the MCU. <laughs> so the reason why I'm 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 looking forward to the Marvel movies coming back is I I think culturally people need that kind of uh, stability back again. I think it's important culturally for those movies to come back. Now, you could criticize the impact those movies have had on our culture. That's a whole other conversation entirely, and I don't think it's pertinent to this one. But the reason why it doesn't bother me that they have such a large volume of content is it's just easier to pick and choose now more than ever. Like, just because they're releasing a bunch of stuff, and, you know, a lot of it, could be bad honestly I, I don't think it matters it's just there's a variety now of, of options people have and if we're stuck in another pandemic lockdown situation through march or april i mean this gives people more things to do while they're stuck in quarantine not making any money so i don't think this is a i don't think this is a bad thing i mean it's definitely an oversaturation but i don't i don't think there's a Unless you're just like an MCU diehard that wants to be on board with everything, and so long that the you know MCU doesn't make it, you know, if they make it indecipherable for viewers, so that it's no longer easy to consume for everyone, where it's like, oh, the only way you can watch this is if you watch these two shows in their entirety, which I don't imagine they would do. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Mm. I I wonder if there's a problem though with like. Isn't part of the fact that isn't part of the reason the MCU works is because it's easy to keep up with and because well, most people have saying. seen everything. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, maybe these don't make it harder to keep up with, but like, do people feel like they're missing out? Do they feel like there's too many moving parts now? Like, is is this where things start to feel unwieldy finally? You know, and like does does eighteen months away hurt or help? You know, like I don't know. Cause I don't I I don't I don't feel negative about this, but it, it, it does give me pause of like, what is the reaction to this? Like, do people want MCU every week? Are people still that high on it? Like, did the time away make people feel like they're ready for something new? Like, are people going to flock back to it because we've had a break and, and they'll be happy that there's, you know, twice as much as we used to get? I don't know. Like, it, they're really interesting questions. And once I'm frankly really interested to see answered for myself. Is that like halfway through this year, am I going to be like, okay, I've had enough? Or am I going to be glad that there's that water cooler moment the way that I used to have with like The Walking Dead? 
Well, it, it, it depends. If you choose to t- take on all the content they're putting out, you might feel greater fatigue. Uh, and obviously that might be something we end up having to do for the show. So that's right. That, that might be a, a, a foregone conclusion for us. Cause I know if I'm in a position where I do have to watch all this stuff, I will feel fatigued immediately. But you know, uh, the Star Wars stuff, you know, I'm not going to watch any of it. So it doesn't bother me. <laughs> and it is, there is too much of it. Um, as, as for, I mean, Marvel's, I mean, Disney's adding more to their plate. The very idea that they're going to make a Spider-Verse movie with a whole live action Spider-Man is a, that's a large undertaking they're taking under. So like they are in a post end game era, putting more on their plate. I mean, we'll see how they handle it. So I think that this is less, it's, it's less crazy than it seems. And we are in uncharted territory now because this isn't a movie every week. This is movies interspersed with TV shows, interspersed with some like documentary type of thing. Documentary. It's media every week. And it's the answer to the question is going to depend on whether or not people want to see these characters on the small screen. That's not something that we've been confronted with. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't count because it was a Marvel TV show, like Marvel TV, the the production company or what have you, um, and it aired on ABC. There's just a lot of differences. By all accounts, it wasn't all that great. Um, this is different. This is Marvel Studios. This is actually Elizabeth Olsen. This is actually Paul Bettany. Like These are the actors portraying the characters that we love on screen with budgets that allow them to do similar things to what we see in the movies just on TV. So we can follow these characters on a week-to-week basis instead of having to wait years to see the next chapter. And it's extremely and accessible. And it's extremely accessible. Right? Like, so many people have Disney+, Plus, and it's real easy to get a, a trial right. for it. So that is probably going to be the determining factor. For me... I read comic books. Why would I get tired of this? It, it's the same thing. Do, yeah. Do I want to read a story about um, Wanda and Vision that's high quality every week? Yeah, I do. do. Would I read X-Men by Jonathan Hickman every week if it was extremely good? Yeah. yeah of course. Well, that's a, that's an interesting point, too, is like how long is each of these? Eight, eight, eight right? episodes. Right? Because if one. Right. So like if WandaVision is eight episodes and you are expected to pay attention to it for like two months and then there's another thing and like maybe you don't care about Falcon and Winter Soldier. So you skip that one and then you come back later and watch Loki or, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know, like maybe that does work for people, you know, maybe that does lead to like a um, a Mandalorian type success where you've got this thing where it's like. It's a cultural thing. Everyone's tuning in and watching it every week. And, you know, if it hits, it hits. And if it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you catch the next one. And, oh, maybe you missed it when it was coming out week to week, but you watch it later. You know, because some hype thing happens and everybody's tweeting about it, like with the end of Mandalorian Season 2, right? I haven't watched Mandalorian Season 2, but I know that there's a big hype thing that happened. So I was like, oh, I should probably watch that, right? Like, that that does happen, so I don't know, like, like you said, it's such uncharted territory that like it really could go either way. Well, it could help people double down for their love, or it could be the thing that makes them realize that they're kind of over it. 
perhaps the other aspect we're kind of not talking about is um tv is a very segmented thing like for the most part unless it's like your mandalorian or 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 your stranger things you know shows have different audiences that are smaller as a whole because there's just so many options out there you know you could be a person that dedicates every week of your time to watching shark tank or the good place or there's so many different options with cinema you know it's like there's five six seven eight movies that everyone goes to see a year and like it's either gonna be an mcu movie a pixar movie uh Really, that's it. Comes down to like a good animated family film or a superhero movie, a blockbuster. Yeah, television is different, and for a, a show that will unite like the culture, really, there's only like one or two a year or so, and it's like The Mandalorian, Breaking Bad, the Game of Thrones type shows. We're getting Walking Dead for several years. Yeah, we're getting three Marvel TV shows this year, plus the documentary series. Now, you know, the the documentary series isn't going to have the same reach as. Uh, a Mandalorian yeah. type, obviously inherently. No one's people, gonna watch that. People don't have the, the the legs for documentaries that they do for a show, but you know, I I don't know if any of these shows will have the Mandalorian effect. That it, it's a it's a tall ask. I'm, they will have audiences that I'm sure of, but are they going to be your you know Twitter buzz type show or is it going to be a CW type thing? Because the CW has big audiences, but they're not like mandalorian uniting yeah. like all the country in a discourse kind of this, like, like conversation it, or like i think a good example could be like watchmen when it came out right like watchmen was a show that like if you were watching it you were in it a, there was a lot of discourse around it it was definitely like one of the more celebrated shows of the year but i think it was also a show that at the end of the year a lot of people were like oh yeah i should watch that right you know not not the mandalorian where it's like there's memes about it and you know like Baby Yoda is on your fucking Snickers bar or whatever, right? Like they're different types of shows, though. Like Watchmen was a show that was treated as like you know gold standard of television, like Emmy bait stuff. Like this was a show that was treated with like enough the utmost like this is an art form that's being produced. Mandalorian, on the other hand, and this isn't a knock against it. It's just that that's that's more of like um that is a water cooler show. You know what I mean? Um. So they're t- like they're two different types of audiences that those shows are made for. Yeah, maybe I think that's it's. Fair. I honestly think it's real simple. If you are the kind of person who watches MCU content because you enjoy it and you're into it, not just because it's the thing to do, you will almost undoubtedly watch the shows. Not every single person. There will be people who say, "Eh." TV, that's a bridge too far. But I think <laughs> I think a sizable amount of people who enjoy the, the the films will come around for these shows, especially because they know that to watch the movies, you're probably going to have to watch the shows. And people want to be connected to this. We talk about what's water cooler. What's more water cooler than not getting spoiled or 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 ha- being able to have the conversation about how Infinity War ended or Endgame. And now we're going to get the aftermath of Endgame when we haven't had an aftermath for 18 months. I don't I don't think that there's any chance that these shows don't do well, especially if they're good. Also, I mean, I guess 
Right, as long as they're good. And I mean, like, I don't know. It, it worked with the Netflix shows, and by all accounts, these are going to have bigger budgets, more sucks. stars, and they're shorter. Well, What's that? I said they fizzled out over time. Sean said that's because they suck. But Yeah. No, but you know what I'm saying. Defenders being yeah. But bad the ones that did killed that. Big yeah. time. And the ones that didn't suck didn't fizzle yeah. as hard. I'm, right? Like Daredevil season three had. Well, look at the same Daredevil yeah. moment. Yeah, right. People are still tweeting about how that show's great and they want it to come back. So, like, I think that's the thing is that, like, these have a lot going for them that the other examples we're pointing to don't. And even those found an audience and found yeah. cultural relevance. So, well, I don't know. Let's let's shift gears and let's actually get into our main topic for today, which is how does Marvel have to change and evolve to stay on top in Phase 4 and beyond? Do Does Marvel, is the onus on them to keep things fresh? Do they have to switch it up? Obviously, the shows represent a level of them doing just that. But is there more that's required on their part to keep people's attention with an 18-month gap between content? What does Marvel have to do to stay relevant? We're going to answer that. So I'm going to kick the conversation off and set the table here because I think that one of the things that I've seen a lot of is – People being underwhelmed by Phase 4's film slate. A lot of people say they're excited for the shows. We just talked about the shows. A lot of people say they're excited for the shows. I hear a lot of sort of uh, mixed mixed messaging about the, the movies. And people saying that the movie slate doesn't look as enticing as what we're used to. Um what does that mean, though? So, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, and I'm one of the people who, who feels that way. Yeah. Uh, I look at their movie slate, and I don't really see that, or I don't feel that same interconnectedness. It's missing a Captain America movie. It's missing an Iron Man movie. Movies that would normally be temp poles for a phase are now absent. And, you know, the last Captain America movie was Civil War. That was major. Uh, the last... Iron Man movie was Iron Man 3, which was not great, but it still made a billion dollars. So obviously, just because I didn't like it, tons of other people want to see that movie. Um, this And you went to see it too. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. This phase, I don't look at it and say, wow, I can't wait for this, except for Doctor Strange. Everything else is just not... Well, it's Spider-Man, right? Oh, God. What? And Spider Man Three, yes, absolutely. Um, that's that's your that's your movie at this point with all the <laughs> way you've been calling. Yeah, of course, absolutely. I'm I'm really really excited. Um, but everything else is kind of like uh, you know, Thor could be good. It sounds a little overstuffed. I don't know. Uh, also, not super intrigued by Thor after where they left them off with Endgame. There's a lot of question marks, and I'm I'm looking at this slate, and it's kind of like all right. What's the plan? What's the interconnectedness? You could almost look at the movies that were scheduled for phase three and figure out how they were getting where they were going. I think that's less the case with these. Um, go ahead. So, 
I was going to say, I think, I think you're right, but I feel like that also makes sense for where the MCU was at at that time. You know, because I think, like, you look at, like, the first, like, phase, that was clearly, like, we're working towards Avengers and that's what we're doing. The second phase was kind of aimless. Like, it, in, in, in hindsight, you can look and see, well, this, what led to this, and this led to this, and this pointed to that. But, like, it didn't necessarily feel that way at the time. It felt like the Avengers are assembled and now we're, like, we're open. Like, we're introducing more characters. We're getting more pieces on the board. We're moving things forward. And then it felt like three became very focused again, building towards Endgame. And I feel like one is another one of those kinds of, like, it's opening up again. And it's, like, we need to establish all these new things, right? Like, now there's Shang-Chi and now there's the Eternals. And I'm sure that those will establish things that will become the norm throughout phase four and phase five and whatever, right? And it'll be in phase six, we'll be like, oh, yes, this thread that was introduced in Eternals is now, you know, coming through to roost. And we see how that, what that meant. And, you know, and I think it's, it feels that way now because Endgame was an end of so many things. And yeah, there's a lot of pieces left over, but we're not revisiting some of those pieces for a while. Some of them are in very different places, and a lot of them are going to the TV shows. So a lot of what's familiar is either different or or still a bit away. So there's a lot of new, fresh shit in this phase that for me, it's like, I don't know, I, I get not being hyped for it, but like the idea of calling it weak is weird to me because we don't know if it's weak yet. Like Eternals and Shang Chi could come out and be like the hypest shit ever. No, of course, you know, and well, be well. First, you know, Phase Two, like half those movies aren't very good. Um, like Iron Man Three wasn't great, Dark World wasn't great, and Age of Ultron wasn't great. That's three of the six movies that came out that year. I think or, it's safe to say phase. all the worst MCU movies are in the fa- are in Phase Two. That uh, oh oh, you mean in, in the totality of all the movies, like the worst three are in that phase? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. I mean, yeah. Uh, I think the three you just listed are probably the three worst. Maybe that's totally I don't possible. Know about that. um, I, I'm not thinking about it very hard, but I think there's an argument that could be made. Um, but I think I think Sean is right. I need a bell that goes <laughs> like, off every time you say that. In fact, Marco, can you cut that out and just like let's just use that. Sean is right. Sean, 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 Sean is right. We need it for the yeah, soundboard. We need that for the soundboard. <laughs> Sean was right. Sh- 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 Sean was right. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like, for me personally, I am more interested in this phase of movies maybe than any other phase just because I- I'm kind of interested in Shang-Chi. I'm pretty interested in Eternals. I'm interested in Doctor Strange. I'm interested in Guardians Volume 3. I'm interested, like, Fantastic Four. A lot of these movies are, are things I am interested in. Uh, whereas the other phases, there were less movies I was interested in in totality. But the reason why Sean's right is there's just plenty of anecdotal evidence to back it up is there is no marquee film to, you know, benchmark this in terms of a hype thing. At the end of the day, Marvel movies are an industry. They're designed to make money and a lot of it um that's their entire purpose at the end of the day in fact when you talk about these giant enrollments uh, of having these presentations that is in itself designed to get people excited so that they spend money on these movies that's the entire operation good or bad it really doesn't matter because it's it's 
amoral. Like it, it's it, it it's made to make money. In this phase of movies, none of these check off that box of hype. Truly. Like you don't have your Tony Stark, you don't have your Robert Downey Jr., you don't have your Chris Evans, and you don't have your Avengers. So what is there for people to be excited for? Even in, ultimately, in you know, as recognizable as Spider-Man is across the world in the MCU, Spider-Man isn't an A-lister like these other characters are. He plays, a, he's a sidekick. So like they haven't even positioned that character into being like an A-lister for people to get excited about. And people will still see it. They love Spider-Man. It's just in this phase of movies. There is no cornerstone for people to get pumped up about. So, you know, even though I disagree with Sean in, in a personal sense of anticipation, he's objectively correct. There is no movie here that's hype for like the like larger audience to get into. So, with with that being said, the question that I've posed is: What does Marvel have to do, if anything? to change and evolve to keep people roped in for their films. I I think the biggest thing is that and, and this is like not a sexy answer, but I think it's that they need to stay the course. I knew you were going to say. I that. think it's that they need to believe in in this vision that they've set out for us to the point that they make me believe in it. Because I think that with where we're at right now, going into phase four, like I, I said in the, the new segment, I think this is a, the opportunity for them to jump the shark. I think if there is uh, if there has ever been a better moment for the superhero fatigue to finally set in, I don't know that there's been one. Um, because there's been all that conversation. There's been all that, you know, whatever. Here we are, you know, 22 movies later, the hype machine hasn't died yet. Uh, in fact, it's gotten bigger and louder every movie. So, but now with a potential oversaturation, 18 months removed, new decade, all those things for Marvel to be a thing that continues into the next decade and beyond and maintains the cultural relevance and doesn't fizzle in the way that like a Walking Dead or a Game of Thrones or, or any of these other kind of cultural touchstones of the last decade have is that they need to show us that it was that it's not over, that it wasn't a flash in the pan, that they're not just cashing in, that they're not just giving us more to give us more, that there is a vision for where it goes from here in the same way that there was a vision with Iron Man in 2008. So you're saying that the center, the central villain in all of this has to be Wilson. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, so I, I think I think for me it's it's less about what do they need to do that's new. What do they need? Because like the TV shows are new, right? The IP is new. They're doing a lot that's new. It's just a matter of are we going to eat it up? And the easiest way to make us eat it up is to make it fucking slap. And we know that they can do that. So if they deliver, I think people will keep coming. I really do. I'm not sure how big the overlap between the television and movie audience is. I, 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 obviously, like, if you're a diehard MCU person, that Venn diagram is a circle. <laughs> like, yeah. very clearly. And there's but, a lot of people like that. Yes, obviously. But, you know, like, there's a lot of Marvel movies that weren't, like, high-grossing high movies. Like, Doctor Strange 1 didn't, like, destroy the box office. It was a success, but, like, it, you know, it wasn't even, like, a Captain America Civil War or something or an Iron I mean, Man 3. Insane. Um 
That would be insane. And I, I imagine most of these movies are going to be a Doctor Strange, Ant-Man type financial success. Modest successes. And, you know, though that audience, um, that, that, that indicates that, like, the entire country doesn't go to see every MCU movie in theaters, right? Like, they, they'll come out to see the big ones. That's why I'm basically saying I, I don't anticipate everyone is going to watch the shows either because... You know, they're not going to turn out for every Marvel thing. They'll turn out for the big stuff. So, to answer your question, Sean, a good point. I don't think that immediate, I mean, maybe staying the course will help. Like, you know, if you don't rock the boat, you'll have a bunch of modest successes and it'll set you up for whatever you're planning on going forward. But I think maybe the answer is you have to do a good job of setting up your major antagonist, your next major antagonist. Like, if that's the unifying thread in not all of these movies, in a, but in a good deal of them, whether it's a, you know, Kang the Conqueror or Galactus or whatever they decide to do, Doctor Doom, um, like maybe that's the thread that you need to draw people in. You know, you cast a huge actor or something as like the next major antagonist, and maybe that's something that draws people in. Yeah. Well, I think that's a strong point too, Phil, is that I think the easiest way to get people excited again is to have something to look forward to yeah well that's right yeah in the same way that like we got like all throughout phase one well what were we looking forward to the avengers and then at the end of avengers it set up what are we looking forward to thanos which came in endgame and i think if they set up you know i don't know like say all of phase one is is setting up new threads of like Here's some supernatural stuff that you haven't necessarily seen before. We're going to establish the multiverse. We're going to establish this. We're going to establish that. And then we get to the end of the kind of culmination of this phase. Maybe it's Fantastic Four and it's like, oh, shit, Galactus is coming. We need to get the Avengers reunited. What do the Avengers look like without Iron Man and Cap? And Thor is off in space, so he can't help. And, you know, and like... At that point, we have all the new pieces on the board. We have this crazy hype thing that we can look forward to. We as comic fans are like, oh my god, Galactus. The normies are like, oh my god, who's Galactus? I need that to read That guy's about big! Exactly. Like, and and you know what I mean? Like, And then the machine starts... <laughs> and then the machine starts all fucking over again. And like, that's that's it, man. And there like... Were, there were people that were expressing their superhero fatigue after Avengers Age of Ultron. Right, but yeah, there there would be the guardians happened. Well, there would be people like us that would say, "Well, hold on, wait till Thanos comes." They're like, who's that? Well, it's like, "Well, you'll see." Like that kind of word of mouth has it goes a long way when there's a lull in the hype. Yeah. So, I think that, um, so Pete's premise that they need to stay the course, I think that's accurate for sure. Um. In a sense. So when you look at this slate of films, I already said I'm not over the moon about it. But what does it do? This slate of films addresses one of the primary concerns that audiences had with um, prior movies, which is that they lacked diversity. So you see Shang-Chi, you see Black Widow, you see Eternals, a super diverse movie. Uh, you see Thor Love and Thunder is going to introduce uh, the female Thor, uh, Captain Marvel 2, Black Panther 2, how, whatever that's going to be. Uh, Ant-Man will at least, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I mean, it's in the name. And then, you know, Fantastic Four isn't necessarily that diverse, but you do get um, Invisible Woman. So we're getting more 
diversity. And that is an answer. Like a lot more. I didn't even realize how much more until you right. lay it out like that. Um, that is an answer to one of the primary concerns that people have had. Uh, and I think that that's going to excite people. Look at all the conversation around the Eternals cast. Obviously, we're a long way removed from that conversation because of how long we've been waiting. But when that cast came out on stage, uh, I can't remember what the event was at this point. But when that cast came out on stage and you saw all these different faces and bodies and everything else, it was exciting for people. So they also have some fucking like really like on the cusp kind of talent in that movie, which is exciting. Like someone like Kumail Nanjiani is maybe not a movie star, but like people love that guy. And like, I think he's going to be put over by this in the same way that like Paul Rudd was where it's like, Oh, all of a sudden Paul Rudd is like, and he always been beloved, but now he's a triple a movie star making that fucking Disney money, you know? And like, that's kind of cool too. Paul Rudd is already a pretty, He's already a movie star at that point, but like someone like Chris Pratt, that's a better example. Sure, I think. but I mean, even like what, like what's the last movie that Paul Rudd like led? Well, he was in a ton of like comedy movies as a front man leading up to that, or even like your, you know, he was number two on the bill chart for Anchorman. You know what I sure. mean? Sure, yeah. Um, so so I, I think that's one of the the keys, and they're addressing it. Uh, I think that's gonna. That's going to entice a lot of people who maybe are put off by the MCU for being too white. Um, I also think that they need to establish who are the characters that we need to care about now. Tony's gone. Uh, Cap is gone. Thor's weird. Um <laughs> <laughs> Black Widow. Black Widow's gone by all accounts. Supposed to be anyway. Right, Uh, yeah. Even Loki is, you know, not gone. He is in the show, but it's not the Loki we know. And, you know, who even knows what's going to happen with that? So they need to tell us who to care about now. Uh, I look to Captain Marvel 2 because I think she's going to be, if not the leader of the Avengers, one of the primary um, members of the Avengers. And then that's kind of it. So that's one of the, the issues that I have is that this this slate of films doesn't give me a really clear idea of who the Avengers even are at this point. This is the only phase of Marvel with no Avengers film. I mean that's that's the thing, right? It's like I feel like I feel like we have an idea, but it's like it is weird because it's like Captain Marvel, I think, is a safe bet. I think Doctor Strange is a safe bet. Um I think Black Panther was probably supposed to be in that role, but now it's kind of like, what does that look like? You know, how 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 committed are they to making Thor cosmic? Like, is going to be a question? Like, I don't know. Well, it certainly felt like the three characters they were staging to be important were Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and Doctor Strange. And Spider-Man, I guess. Yeah, but I don't know what's going on with him with the Sony thing. That's the, right. the whole question mark there. John. Hey, man. I said my piece. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can look at this yeah. and you can you you can you can theorize and postulate, but like, it's not in your face. It's not as in your face as when you knew you could bank on another Iron Man, another Cap, another Thor, and all these pieces were clearly laid out and in place. Now it's more up in the air. I'm not saying that that can't be a compelling story. It certainly can. 
But I can also see how you could lose audiences on the road to getting back to the movies and the franchises that make you a billion dollars. Yeah. They're putting a lot on faith. Although I guess, yeah, but I guess there's also the argument to be made too that like, Maybe that doesn't matter, like, because maybe to Phil's point, you put out a couple of these movies and you you do have a a softer set of years where there are more modest successes and it is more like building. But then we get to the next Avengers type thing or we get to the next Spider-Man or or whatever that is another inroad where, oh, that's a billion dollar movie that everybody went to see and it establishes this thread so people are connected for that and, you know, because – there is like a peaks there you know there are there is an upper echelon of like what are the MCU movies that everybody sees versus the ones that just exist and like a couple movies that do modest and set up characters that people can go watch on Disney Plus later in between TV shows like that could end up working in the long run anyway i guess I, i'm not going to lie what they're doing is it's an uphill challenge this is um certainly a tumultuous time for for them but you know you know you look at something like transformers in the 80s which replaced optimus prime with hot rod he became rodimus prime and you know every fucking like person in the country wrote the uh hasbro being like where's optimus prime my kids saying where's optimus prime and all this stuff you look at wrestling and when when hulk hogan left wwf bret hart became the guy and you know wwf had its lulls like when you try to, you know, replace the marquee name, it's not easy. You know, with WWF, it wasn't until Rock and Steve Austin came three years later that all of a sudden you had your new marquee mar- marquee names. But you know that took time to develop too. What what they're trying to do is not going to be easy. They're basically, you know, they got to make new stars. Like because no matter what. Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, especially, were the ones casting lar- looming shadows over all the other cast members in the MCU, and it's not like to hold them down or anything. It's just those were the two faces. Now they have to elevate other people into those roles, and whether or not that's successful, especially because Chadwick Boseman's dead, like that's one person they intend to elevate into that role. That's going to make it all the more difficult because he was there already, right? Uh, like, if not there, he was close to it. Yeah. Um, and nobody else really is. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think a Spider-Man movie is always good for quite a bit of uh, change there. Um, I think, mm. unfortunately, a lot of people don't like Brie Larson. And Yeah, that's going to be yeah, a big problem, I think, I think. Trying to anchor the MCU around her is going to be tough because, you know, there's just a lot of hate for her. People find her to be abrasive. Whether that's true or not, I mean that's that's a perception. Yeah, but I, I and and I think that also like lends to the character, right? Is that like a lot of people don't like Cap this Captain Marvel, and I think it's because that like they chose Brie Larson for a reason because I think that's the attitude of the character, right? Is that you, like sure that's and that's you know the integrity of that's true, but again, you have to think of the marketing aspect. No, most, no. most people like Gal Gadot or whatever. So they can market Wonder Woman yeah. as a star, but people are put off by Brie Larson for X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying I also think that extends to the characterization of the character. I think the fact that they are pushing her as like a kind of like this, you know, tough as nails, flipping, you know, like badass 
kind of like female character like there is a there is a specific viewer who any flavor of that is something that they're immediately like oh fucking sjw political blah blah you know whatever like whatever insert gripe here you know um which is only worsened by the fact that she's a polarizing actress so yeah i mean you know whether or not that's a i mean i think it's a kind of crappy thing but whether or not it's a good or bad thing doesn't change the fact that that impacts their ability to make her one of those marquee big faces of MCU. Right. It's it's not as easy as sell as it was for you know Cap or Iron Man. Right. Exactly. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I those are all definitely significant factors at play. I think that for the MCU to persist into Phase Five, into Phase Six, into Phase Seven interconnectivity is also a factor and they're doing it with the tv shows i think audiences are ready now for that kind of ping pong that we're used to like go watch the movie watch the tv show watch the movie watch the tv show i think that people can deal with that now and especially in these times that we're living in being able to offer you know, we're all at home anyways, being able to offer content like that that you can take home with you and say, okay, well, now I want to catch up with Wanda and, and Vision and see what's up there. And it's going to give me knowledge of what of what I can expect in Doctor Strange 2. Yes, please. I think that's important um, because I do think that people want more. And I know how that sounds. I know that we, we always talk about the fatigue. I think people want more. Of what's good. I truly do. And also, it's not the same as having to get up, go to the movies, spend $30, sit there for two and a half hours, listen to kids cry, go home. Like, it's not the same. It's it's a, it's a much more tolerable experience that I think we actually don't even talk about. Like, being able to sit and binge Marvel content. That's crazy. Yeah. I I don't know how it's going to work. Uh, I think the expectation that people will ping pong between the two is honestly, it's a, it's a big ask. And it's, I think it's a gamble, depending on how much they make the two intertwined and mandatory watching to understand what's happening. If, if, it, if it is very kind of closely linked together i think it might backfire because i don't know how much percentage of that audience will actually do both of i think as long as it's not more connected than it is right now it doesn't matter because i i look at um uh, anecdotal example right but like when when sarah and i started dating um it was right before uh uh uh, uh not Endgame. um infinity war infinity war thank you and i remember being like, oh, like you've seen some of the movies there, and you want to see this one. Okay, so what are the important ones that you've missed? Let's watch those, and then I'll tell you about everything else. And I think that between people like shows like ours, YouTube channels, our uh, websites like CBR and all that stuff. I think there's just as much a culture around filling in the gaps of what you've missed. So you can be there for the stuff that the culture is talking about, not 
the MCU bubble is talking about, um, where that doesn't matter. I don't know how many people really do that. I certainly do that, but I uh, I know people I interact with in my day to day life who certainly don't do things like that. Like, I mean, they, they take and leave, so to speak. You know, like yeah, they take it, they leave it. But I think I think the thing is that both of those types of viewers still show up and watch the movies that matter. Sure, they'll do that. But th- that's my whole question, though: is how many of those people are going to sit down and watch, you know, thirty-two episodes of those? Total shows, but right? but to to take it back to the the point that you made earlier in this conversation, Phil, does that matter? Right, like Ant Man doesn't need to sell as many tickets as Avengers. So like, if if you're you know if my fucking casual friend who goes and sees the MCU movies doesn't bother to watch any of the shows, but can ask me, oh, what happened in? Is it worth me watching WandaVision? Yeah, it's only eight episodes. Check it out. Or no, you know, yeah, like this This is what you need to know for Doctor Strange. Cool? You get it. Watch Doctor Strange. In in that example, I agree with you. It just depends on what it actually manifests. Two things. Exactly. My point. One, yeah, yeah. Pete is right in that a culture exists around talking about these things. And it wouldn't if it didn't, if it didn't sell or if it didn't get clicks or whatever. So people 1000% do that. Um, the other thing, though, is that the Marvel movies, other than Infinity War and Endgame specifically, have been pretty good, I would say, about making it so that you don't have to watch absolutely every single movie. You can, you, yeah. I would say you could watch all the Avengers movies without watching anything else. The only other movie you might need to see, probably need to see, is Civil War. But other than that, if you don't give a damn about watching the solo movies and you don't care what happens in space, you can literally watch, what's that, two, three, five movies, and you will have a pretty solid understanding of the saga of the Infinity uh, the Infinity Saga. Yeah. Mm. No, I agree with that for sure. So I, I think as long as they... And again, I guess to take it back to my first point, right? As long as they maintain the course in terms of the quality and the execution that we've come to expect, I don't see why it will become a problem. I don't think it'll make it more convoluted inherently. Um, and, and I think that I think that there are so many resources for you to fill in those gaps for yourself and to know that you can do that, that it really doesn't even matter if it does, you know? Like the idea of watching a YouTube video to summarize a plot is a normal thing. That's not like a thing that only nerds do, you know. Well, like there are also a lot more of us. Now. You, you. That's <laughs> true, right? And that's the thing, though, right? Is like I, I, I think there's also that's a relevant part of the conversation. Is that like I think a lot of this shit that is historically very nerdy and that I think even we sometimes think about as very nerdy because we're like, well, we're in a bubble and all everyone we know is pretty nerdy and whatever, right? Like, there are normal-ass motherfuckers that do that shit. Like, I have, like, this is, again, anecdotal, right? But, like, the main face mask that I wear out when I go out is a Spider-Man face mask. And I've had multiple just normal people strike up conversations with me about the MCU because of that mask. And people who I assume probably don't read comics. But, like, are in it. You know, and, and, and like have those questions and know where to go and have their YouTube channels that they watch or their podcasts. Well, are you handing out cards? He is. <laughs> but not, <laughs> you not, know it. But not Comics Pals cards. He's hand, handing oh, out okay. Pete and Dusty cards. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm the, well, I'm the Spider-Man of Philadelphia now. <laughs> well, yeah. I, so the the one thing, the other thing I wanted to bring up is you know what the worst thing that could happen is you know even if they do stay the course and all those movies are good to pretty good or you know above average or whatever is if they don't create something that makes people excited for what happens next like the worst thing could happen for the MCU which is not active disliking like the Zack Snyder films you know people actively hate those and it created a conversation in terms of like you know the Snyder Cut has a buzz because of just how polarizing they are in terms of like people hating it the worst thing that could happen is if people just lose interest like oh this is good but like there's nothing there to bring him back for like like the, the hypeness goes away like oh like they're, they're, you just become disinterested it's like sometimes there's good sh- tv shows that last a long time but like you've seen it before and so like there's nothing to stir the pot and make it different and so like people are like you know south park or something where it'll be like you stopped watching south park 10 years ago and you're like oh it's still good i like it and you're just not watching because it's like well what are they doing that's different that kind of yeah yeah and and i think that it's interesting because like you 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 make that comparison and it's it's weird because i've made this point we've talked about the longevity of the mcu before i i think it's it's so interesting that it, it could potentially go on for like forever right like there's there's a an unending number of marvel characters that they could dust off and throw in the limelight and like you can make a horror movie or a magic movie or a sci-fi movie or whatever and like just keep pivoting and like if people keep showing up it can, it can keep being fresh it can keep being new and there there could be a generation of viewers who come on now in this second wave not second wave but you know what i mean like this next generation who have never seen iron man you know and and that that could be normal um soon right like and and that that's the the X factor of all this thing and of the whole superhero movie bubble, right? Is that when people were talking about superhero fatigue after Avengers Endgame, we hadn't met the Guardians yet. Uh, after Avengers, yeah, regular. Oh no, yeah, right before that, right? Okay, so either way, right? Like that was something that was fresh and breathed new life into the world a little bit, right? And and you keep having those moments. And whatever that next moment is, as long as it comes, that gets you to the next one and the next one and the next one. And like, it, it could be a, a thing where it does just fade away because the trend is over and we're done with it and we're ready for the next thing in the way that we were ready for it in 2008. Um, but there's also the chance that 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 moment is still a long way away because phase four is going to look so different than phase one. And what we were getting out of those movies in 2008 to 2012 is different from what we're getting out of them in 2021. And as long as they can keep evolving and doing those things and trying new things, like think about like when Blade comes out, Blade is going to be a movie that is so different than every other MCU movie we've seen before. Um, At least presumably. Right? Like in terms of tone and subject matter and style and like those are the those are the things that we still I think have to look forward to is that like 
they can still reinvent the wheel. They can do a lot of things that they they. There are a lot of cards left in the deck. I guess is my point. I think that is another thing that Marvel has to do in order to stay on top. As we you know round out this conversation, is they have to identify ways that they can present us these characters, these stories in ways that are different. And I don't, I don't say that they haven't done that. I think um, they've made a point to try to make movies that were this genre X superheroes, and they've done that to success for sure. But I think that there's, you know, an even deeper level that they can go to that we need to see, um, and that's what's exciting about movies like Blade. Like you said, that's even what's exciting. I'm not excited for Shang Chi. I'll be honest, but. That's what is exciting about that movie. That it's not the same thing. That it's a different character with different problems, different circumstances. And I think that's another thing that Marvel has to do. Um, and they're and they're clearly doing it as you look at this this slate of films. Is introduce the new. Who are the new characters? Not necessarily the anchors. We talked about that, but. We, I don't feel like we've gotten a lot of new characters. Uh, well, Phase 3 gave us Strange and, and Panther. Um, and and Captain, uh, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Okay, so yeah. So so we did get we did get a few new new characters. Um, but we're getting a ton now. Like, the Eternals itself is like as many new characters as we got in the last yeah. phase, I think. And so is the Fantastic oh, wow. Four. Right. So... And, like, those are, like, and that's huge, right? Like, the Fantastic Four. That's something that we didn't even bring up in this. That could be, that could be it. That could be the deciding. If that movie fucking rules, well, okay, well, there we go. Like, we that sold us through. There's our linchpin characters. There's the anchors of the Avengers that, you know, okay, great. Done. You know, like, that's the X factor in all this, too. You know, is, like, what, like, what? What if Shang-Chi comes out and, and it blows our fucking hair back, right? And it is, like, a moment like that where it's like, oh, fuck. Like, in the way that, like, Cap-, Cap 2 came out and you're like, this is a fucking spy movie, right? What if this comes out and it's a sick kung fu movie? When's the last time that we have, there was a sick kung fu movie that was, like, a summer blockbuster? Like, the 90s? I don't know. Like, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Like, that's the kind of – like, that could be a new angle, Beverly right, that Hills could, Ninja. Okay. There you starring go. Chris Farley. <laughs> that could be a new a new wrinkle. That yeah. could be a new turn, right? And and th- those are there there are a lot of opportunities here for them to show us that there's still gas left in the tank. Yeah. I think you're right and I think you know, this conversation about what does Marvel have to do? I think they probably had this conversation. I think their slate of movies they represents know. that conversation. And I think that, you know, because really, this is the first phase. Well, I guess phase three, but really, really phase four, where we're seeing Kevin Feige's unobstructed vision, where we're getting TV shows that are his, where we're getting characters that I know he wanted. Black Widow movie, we didn't get it because of, you know, Ike Perlmutter and and that cabal that they had. Um this is really him and and him doing what he thinks is best without interference. And that's going to be a sight to see. So I think if Marvel plays their cards right, and I think this is the, the outcome of our conversation, 
if Morrow plays their cards right, what they need to do is what they're doing. And there's a lot of potential in what they haven't done yet. And that's what's exciting. And so even if you're someone like me and you looked at this phase four list and you said, eh, not that compelling. Remember that for 22, 23 movies to this point, Marvel has held it down. Marvel has delivered. And they will most likely continue to do that. So stay the course with Marvel. And most likely you're going to enjoy the ride. And not for nothing, Phase 5 has some old reliables coming back too. So it's not like everybody we know that we bank on is gone, right? Like Guardians that's, 3 that's, is coming, right? Like, Phase 4. Is yeah. that still 4 technically? Okay, then there you go, right? Like it's it's not all uncharted territory. And I think that it's a mix of stuff we know and like and stuff that I think has a lot of promise leads me to think that there is still, you know, a pretty bright future ahead for the MCU. Yeah, um, I can't wait for uh, John Cena's Peacemaker. Right. You know, that Marvel thing will be really good. I'm trying. We got uh, Matt Reeves' Batman. That'll be really I'm fun. Thanks, Marvel Dad. Movie. Uh, who's in Marvel and DC? Superman, one of the Avengers? Or? Yeah, why hasn't he been in an Avengers movie yet? They're saving him for Phase 5. Oh, that's gonna be hype! You heard it here first. The Sentry's coming. <laughs> All right. So, uh, if you are not excited, or if you are excited about Phase 4, write in. Let us know your thoughts. Which of these movies are you looking forward to? Do you think that the pandemic has caused Marvel to lose steam in the minds of moviegoers? And do you think that Marvel has to do something that we didn't talk about in order to stay relevant And on top of the food chain, as it relates to pop culture in 2021 and beyond, you can answer those questions by writing in to us at thecomicspals.gmail.com. While you're listening to our show, before you close out, make sure that you guys leave us the equivalent of a rating or review on your podcast hosting platform of choice. If you're on YouTube, the likes help a lot. The subscribes are super important. Give us a belated Christmas gift and go hit that subscribe button. It's huge. Hit the notification bell. I think you're going to like some of the stuff we have coming real soon for you guys on the YouTube platform. It's a priority for us in 2021, and I think you're 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 gonna you're gonna want to be a part of that ride. And uh, last but certainly not least, join the Discord server. Come hang out with us. It's always a good time. You won't regret it. Um, it's not just the five of us. There's plenty of other people who are a part of our community that continues to grow. Come join our growing community and talk comics or weeb stuff or video games or wrestling or whatever you like. I like that the weeb channel has just turned into like an anime I know, book like club. They, it's like, oh, what are we starting next, everybody? <laughs> it's a whole whole world over yeah. there I never see. It's been a super isolating year for so many people, like. If you're listening to this show and you feel like the five of us are your friends, come to the Discord. Actually talk with us and like join the community and talk about shit you like. Get to know us. And get to know like the voices that you hear writing in all the time, right? Like Harris and, you know, 
like KFS, like all these people that write in that you hear on the show, like you can come talk with them and get to know them and have totally. them become your pals too. Uh, speaking of getting to know us, Pete, why don't you let us get to know you by plugging your stuff? What nice. a transition, man. Beautiful. It's just a staunch professional. Oh, my God. Uh, you can follow me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about what you are looking forward to in 2021. What what movies are you looking forward to watching? What games are you going to play? What books are you going to read? Uh, let me know so that I can start looking forward to them, too. If you want to get some more content from me, you can check out my podcast, uh, The Podcast, over on LootPots.com. We talk about Nintendo. Um, and then you can also check out uh, my band, Long Friend, Time Friend. We have uh, some singles out from our upcoming album, uh, If Me Dies, Me Dies, uh, which is coming out in February. We have our newest single, Mirror, which uh, dropped on New Year's uh, Day, um, actually at oh. midnight, which was pretty chill. So uh, go check that out. I'm real proud awesome. of it. Uh, Phil, did you not agree that my transition was good? It was fine. It's just Pete loves it. Was you know, it was fine. It was only off. fine. Oh. Good. Uh, why don't you let people know where they shouldn't go to follow you? Yeah, I'll let people know where they shouldn't go, and that is uh, on Twitter and following Kale at Toto and Toe. You can avoid that altogether. <laughs> com. Don't go there. That's right. Um, and uh, Marco, you can find him at uh, Mr. Marco Animoto on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Kind of engineers that weave conversation. Uh, on the Discord. Um, as for me, you can follow me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Go check out my band, Short Foe Space Foe. Uh, we just uh, we just put out a song called Ska Sucks. Uh, it's a, an ironic Ska song. Yeah, you should go check that out. Um, also, I, I don't remember if Sean mentioned, but uh, Hixel just yes. came out, our latest book. Uh, that was a good conversation. You should go check that out, too. Uh, watch it on YouTube please (laughs) (laughs) and then you can uh, see our faces and we'll surprise you because we're not what we expected we're not what we expected you to look like (laughs) that's right English definitely your first language Uh, as for me you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox hit me up to talk about Miles Morales Spider-Man what a game very, very good game. What yeah, a fucking game. chat about what that if you played that. If you haven't, probably don't talk to me about it. Um, unless you want me to get you hyped, because that I can do. That I'm decent at. <laughs> if you need someone to juice up Miles Morales, give me a call. <laughs> With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. So, in that week where you know, I just don't remember anything, there's a bunch of cocaine in my house, and I have a I have a subscription to Breitbart for some reason. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs>